0: Yo, what's up guys and gals? Uh, Tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by Option Studios. Option Studios, you've heard all about them, you know about them. You know they do pull-up cords, you know they do pro jerseys. What I want to tell you a little bit about tonight is how we do some of those things. I say we, I'm a customer of Option Studios, they take care of all my needs. When I was getting Monty, Monty is the Gravity Lab Radio mascot, he had no name yet, he had no background yet, he had nothing. He was just an idea that existed out there. When I wanted him... I hit up Adam Buckner. He's the principal designer. He is the founder. He's the owner of Option Studios. said, Adam, I want a logo for Gravity Lab Radio. We still didn't even quite have the complete name yet. Um, we were finalizing that. It was Gravity Lab Podcaster Radio at the moment. And I explained I wanted something that kind of the Einstein Brother Bagel look, and I named three or four popular icons or logos and why I like the look of each one. And I explained what aspect, what part, what shape, what, what taste, what flavor, what curve, and put it together in, in a picture form. I've done the same thing with T-shirts, with websites, stuff like that with the guys who design for me. I, I give them several samples and, and tell them what I like of each sample. Adam hits me back up a few days later. DJ, here's a logo. Here's what I got for you. Immediately, my response is, and in this case, man, that is great. That is awesome. Sometimes, no, this is the changes I would like make or this is the direction I would like to go with it. And at that point, he usually gets with me and gets on a phone call when the time is right for both of us. He arranges it, and we start talking. Okay, so we're talking about this aspect. Yeah, no, make this a curve or make this an angle. Okay, well, what about this? And as we're talking it through, Adam will actually work on the fly right there on that phone call. All right, check your messages. And looking at my messages, suddenly I have that new image. Okay, that's great, but you need to move these letters over here. Adam not only listens to what I need for design, but when we get down to those final details and those final final moments, he gets in uh, with the customer one-on-one. He makes sure he can do what's best for you. He makes makes those fine-tuned adjustments. Adam really cares about the artwork he puts out there. Some graphic designers see it as a very technical job, and it can be. Uh, Some are still artists and truly believe and pour their heart and soul into it. Adam Buckner, Elsa, the guys and gals at Option Studios. I can't say enough nice things. They are artists, and they love their job. They love what they do. Check them out, pullupcords.com, optionstudios.com. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. Also brought to you by the Rating Center. The Rating Center is a full-time rating school. We offer coach courses, AFF courses, and tandem instructor courses in UPT Sigma Tandem System. We also do canopy coaching and teach canopy courses. We're based out of Skydive Spaceland San Marcos, Space spaceland houston and Space spaceland dallas uh, we are looking to expand we are looking to grow so hopefully we'll be around someplace to help offer these services to you (coughs) um the guys and gals over the rating center uh truly care about what they do it's a team that i get to run this this is a passion i've got to work with for quite a while and our biggest goal our biggest uh, desire is to give back to the sport to make it as safe as we can to allow more people to enjoy it and to become bigger badasses we've gotten that opportunity uh, we are looking to expand. We are looking to grow. So if at some point you think you are looking to join a ratings team, if you are looking to do something different and you are looking to help push or expand, hit me up, dj at RatingCenter.com, and uh, give me a holler. See what you got. Maybe we can talk. The Rating Center, if you want to become a coach, you want to learn to become an instructor, the coach is the first thing you're going to do. We're talking about basic educational principles and, and communicating basic skydiving skills to adults. How do people learn? How do people take in information? The coach course, Goes over a little bit of information, and then we're going to act like students. You're going to jump with us, and we're going to make sure you can feel comfortable and confident. Once upon a time in training courses, we were certifying you to jump with those students, and it's an important thing you have as a, as a certified skill. But today, we also call them training courses. So we help you feel comfortable. We help you feel confident. We help you go out there understanding and knowing what you're doing. We're not the only rating school out there. There are a lot of other great guys, but I think you'll love the guys and gals. Hank, Aaron, Chris, Valerie, they all do a wonderful job. Uh, Dan McLaurin, I can't leave them all out, but I will. Guys and gals, check out ratingscenter.com, Ratings with an S. You can find us on Instagram. We don't use it as much as we should. We're working on that right now. My buddy DQ and Aaron are going to be helping me with that. And uh, also you can find us on Facebook, the Ratings Center. Tonight we got Ben Nelson, Ben manages Skydive Spaceland Dallas, good friend, been on the show before, been on the show a bunch, actually helped produce a show at some point. Uh, it's good to have him back in town. We're going to talk a little bit about the business, a little bit about the industry, and a little bit about the sport as a working skydiver. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Gentlemen, Where is uh, J- Dr. Grubbs? I don't, man, he's on an airplane. That's all I actually know. Yeah, so. he's leaving on a jet plane. Don't, don't know. know. When do you know when he's going to be back again? D- no, no, do not. Do interesting. Not. Well, yeah, he sent us good night, act- everyone. Have a good night. <laughs> yeah, he actually sent us a, uh, a, a message to the two of us with a drink and said, here's to a good show. Sorry, I can't uh-huh. be there. So we can never have been Nelson on the show with everybody here. Somebody well, has to be missing while you're here. Someone has to be
1: avoiding Ben. Yeah. Because I just, I it's just, impossible I've, for everyone to like him. I've at just the same
2: discovered time. that when Justin Grubbs is not here, Batman's around. But when Batman's not here, <laughs> Justin Grubb <laughs> is here. So what's that mean?
0: And he is your replacement. So are they really the same person? God, I gotta hate him. If you're watching the video, you can see he's different. But uh, on YouTube, no podcast, you can't believe anything. So, Ben, how you been? I, I've, how have I been?
2: I have been Nelson.
0: Last time you were on the podcast, you left this bottle in my house. Did I? Yeah, you did. Oh, actually, how did you know it was mine? No, yeah. Actually, it was two times ago because last time you forgot to take it home. Last time. I've been
2: looking for this.
0: So this time, hopefully you remember to take this it This is actually my uh, piss, uh, piss jar. <laughs> oh, dude, it, it has a great flavor. It used a lot of my water. Do you, do you pee in your vehicle, like outside of a place? What do you mean?
1: Okay, so like sometimes, <laughs> let's say I'm gonna go <laughs> no, on a road. I, I
2: don't pee in my vehicle no.
1: You don't ever have a bottle, and you're like, man, it would probably be easier to pee in this bottle in my car than to go inside and ask to use the bathroom like a normal person.
2: So uh, back <laughs> when I did uh, like different types of EMS, yeah, I'd be in a helicopter for a long, long time, and I would definitely pee in a jar. No, not, for me, there's a bathroom available. I just
1: don't want to ask. And anyone then you to dump it. it.
2: You dump it over people you don't like.
1: Um, I plead the fifth.
2: I have a good story about vomit in the back oh, of the helicopter. <laughs> go. Go and on I that. Don't, I don't think we need to go dive into that right away.
1: Well, why mention it if you're not going to talk yeah, about it? Yeah, you
0: already started that road. Yeah, I, I,
1: I, you're not going to make me have the same conversation with you that I would have with my girlfriend about you this, were, right?
2: You were going to have me talk about uh, jerking off during the Head Up World Record. No, you said... You brought that up. Did I? Oh, and I said, don't bring it up. Uh, yeah, and you okay. just brought it up again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're not going <laughs> to talk about that either. Well...
0: So I don't even <laughs>
1: remember what the first one was now. So,
0: <laughs> oh. guys, gals, thanks for listening to Gravity Lab Radio. <laughs> Although, we're here all week. Two and Nelson. a
1: half minutes in, we've already we've tip. already stooped to masturbation. <laughs> Be sure to tip your
0: wages <laughs> <laughs> Ben Nelson's here.
2: Oh man, I'm so
0: here. Man, I am glad you don't live in town. This makes this show so much easier. <laughs> uh, um, what I do want to do, I want to real quick hit on some ideas, and we'll get back to the, bot, to do it. the botry. Do it. Uh, tonight, I want to look at some ideas. I want to talk about some ideas. I want to have a little bit more structured guidance. Uh, Structure direction. with us? Yeah, fuck that, man. We're going right. to blow it. We're not going to be good at it. As but
2: long as someone's blowing it, that's all that matters.
0: <laughs> the sport's become a business. It's good, it's bad. It's okay, become yeah. a business. Uh, man, the, the growth of the sport, the growth of skill has been tremendous due to it. Uh, the, the demise of, of community, the demise of family to a point can be a danger. might not be there. I want to talk a little bit about that. Cool. I want to talk a little bit about the expectations of somebody who wants to work in the sport because it is becoming a business. Where Years ago, man, you were just a hippie on a drop zone living in a trailer where today it's the same thing but you have a chance to make more money. There's a future. You can become a manager. There's a future. There is a business. <laughs> yeah, and the labs. It's laps. amazing. <laughs> the labs because <began laughs> it's so as awesome. Because we all sit here and
1: yeah. Um, How was that dream job, Ben Nelson? <laughs> <laughs> so dreamy. So dreamy. Yeah. So
2: dreamy.
0: And I want to talk about what people can expect out of you as a manager. So it, there yeah. really is a, a plus or minus. I in like
2: I like all these topics because uh, they're they're definitely uh, interesting subjects.
0: I think years uh, a couple years ago when you were first on the show, you, you were already a manager, and I really we never dove into these topics because you didn't know what the fuck you were doing. As far <laughs> as you were new to managing skydiving,
2: uh, I wasn't new to managing in general. I was new sky- to managing skydiving. Yeah, yeah. So uh, to an extent, you know, uh, working in uh, in the oil biz, you know, I was responsible for a lot of people and a lot of money, like a lot of equipment worth like money related stuff stuff. Uh, sky managing skydivers is to an extent that but it's it's a lot different it's it's definitely more like herding cats sometimes for sure oh yeah for sure
0: it really is man
2: especially when you're dealing with people that uh, skydivers are like you said they're traditionally known for being Mm free-spirited and very the kind of hippie mentality cut away from your lifestyle and move to the drop zone and become a skydiving instructor work or packer whatever you know that's the dream that is the big dream and then uh Yeah, sometimes a dream isn't quite what people think it's going to be. But I think things have changed a lot in the last at least a few last few years, for sure.
0: No, for sure, man. You know, we all work for Spaceland in some capacity or another. But Spaceland is not the only business like it. There's a drop zone or an owner in uh, New Zealand or Australia. I forget his name owns like 20 drop zones, 1,000 drop zones. What's up, Nick? (laughs) Oh, uh,
1: Justin Grubb just mentioned uh, where is Ben's boner pillow, and I was just seeing if there was a (laughs) 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 pillow around.
0: It's actually one of uh, these.
2: Tonight the boner (laughs) is going to be in full effect. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) It's an awkward one indeed. Keep it on display.
0: uh God Is it, it on display right now? <laughs> Sorry, I
1: I don't know what you guys were talking about before. I just inter- I'm sure you noticed me laughing. Oh, I thought Justin
2: nailed it with that uh with that question. So
0: Oh man, no, I do completely forget what was going on. So how you doing, Ben?
2: Good. We're talking about uh free-spirited skydivers and management
0: and <laughs> so we're gonna get back all to that. I was kinda introducing <laughs> the topics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man, also my favorite uh uh, Bill Cosby impersonator. Oh, been my awesome. gosh. <laughs> so.
2: I can't do that anymore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's not appropriate.
0: <laughs> no longer appropriate. So years ago, the sport was, was all about giving back, and today it still is. But a lot of it's become a business as far as drop zones were just getting people hooked. Eventually, drop zones started selling tandems to a point where they were making a business. Mm-hmm. A- and a lot of people will complain about drop zones that are just just tandem factories. And for me, it's not my style. I respect it because it is a style of business. Mm-hmm. As a fun jumper, you can't complain about it. It's just not the style of business for you. Just just go to a place for you. Sure. Um, but uh, people complain about all drops. Or so some people will complain about drop zones making money. But tandems make the turbines turn. Yes, for sure. If it wasn't for that. The sport, uh, Flight One, first people really to pioneer the business of canopy uh, mm-hmm. courses. Braum Clements and Skydive Ratings, the first person to really put together a large Skydive Ratings style school and, and do what we do. These guys have turned it into a business where it used to be a lot more give back. For sure. What are the pros and cons of these people?
2: Um, well, <laughs> there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons. I think, uh, initially speaking, the pros of of turning a skydiving operation into a definite, a definite business is You know, these tandems that come in the door, they pay for all the cool shit that us as fun jumpers get to do, right? It, it gets us the lift capacity we need. It gets people in the air uh, during times of the week when there wouldn't normally be. You know, back in the day, it was you'd show up on a Saturday and Sunday. Weekends were the only time that you were going to jump. And uh, you might get two jumps in that weekend. Uh, and then it's closed down for the weekdays. Uh, we just came from SpaceLand this afternoon. It was Thursday. The weather was great. I don't even know how many loads we turned, uh, but a, a large portion of that was due to the fact that we had tandems on the books, and they were getting the, t- the tandems were getting the planes in the air, and that was causing us to be in a position where people can get that airtime. But also, the fa- all the fancy stuff that we get, when, you know, we especially when you jump at SpaceLand. I'm sure a lot of people have seen the hashtag SpaceLand spoiled. <laughs> we're super spoiled at SpaceLand. I can't even begin to tell you how spoiled we are at SpaceLand to the point where. All of these little these little things, like the, uh, the the countdown clock that you can view from your phone from anywhere, that tells you what the upper winds are doing 18 now. Eighteen loads t- today. Tells you yeah, it tells <laughs> you what, how many loads have flown, and tells you what the ground wind speeds are and the averages and stuff. These are all things that didn't exist, you know, even eight years ago. Uh, to the point where we we may have gotten we may have gotten to the point where we're feeding so much information that when people go outside of SpaceLand to somewhere else, they can't make these decisions for themselves because. It used to be you had to go stand in the field and be like, oh, what are the winds doing right now? And now I can pull up my phone and whatever is on my phone is going to tell me what I need to know. Well, if I go to Scott of Arizona, I'm not going to have that. Uh, Or if I go somewhere else, I need to know how to read the situation uh, uh, in a way that's going to allow me to make good decisions without having all that plethora of information at the tip of my fingers,
0: you know? JP would be one of the first people to complain about about people wanting to know jump-run speed. And it's not because it's not pertinent information. It's because that they're not doing the other things. Mm-hmm. You and I hear jump-run speed and ground speed, and we start doing all the right things. We, we, we understand what it means. We understand what we want to do with it. A lot of people just use it. W- if you go to another drop zone, you're going to use this information to be good there.
2: Yeah, for sure. Do so you guys do, do you guys do any scuba diving? No. You guys
0: ever done any scuba diving? Nick Nick wants to a scuba diving. I'm an expert dive. scuba diving. You, you, know you
2: actually are the one person that said you would never do it because yeah. you're terrified of it. <laughs> Well, you should come do it. I think y- you might get me to do it. Someday. How many, I'm, I'm warming up. How many times have we had people come to the drop zone and say, I'm terrified of skydiving, and then we take them on a skydive? Yeah, like, that was the most amazing thing I
0: wanted to do for the rest of
2: my
1: life. That's probably the best argument you could make. Yeah, for sure.
0: Let's go to like Belize or something. <laughs> I've, sn-
1: I've snorkeled in Belize. It's let's, beautiful. I've snorkeled in Hawaii. It's super pretty.
0: Let's do a vacation down there and go scuba oh diving. Oh, God.
1: I'm going to just have that claustrophobic hey. freak out when I'm too far yeah. under the water to come so, up.
0: So,
2: totally different story. I'm going to be diving in a missile silo next weekend. So, that's going to be rad, anyways. Her- where? What? Is there a chance that about one later. of them might explode? Uh, I'll tell you about it later. But so the point you should I, go. So the point I was <laughs> trying to make. <laughs> the, po- <laughs> the point I was trying to make is uh, for those of you out there that are scuba divers that uh, years ago, when a lot of us learned, I'm talking back in the '90s. Some of you weren't even alive in the '90s, so screw you. Um, <laughs> but back in the '90s, you, we had to learn things called dive tables, and it was all math you had to do in your head, right? So you get this dive chart and based on how deep you go and how long you're there you fill it out and you follow the path of the chart and it tells you how long you need to stay at the surface and when you do certain types of dives at certain depths it tells you how at what out, at what depth depth you have to stay for a certain amount of time to to acclimate as you're coming to the surface so but it was all relatively difficult math computations that you had to sit there and do by hand well nowadays you learn how to do that and then they immediately hand you this dive computer that you put on your wrist you jump in the water it activates and it does all the thinking for you. So you come to the surface, you look down. It gives you a countdown how long you have to be on the surface before you can go can, can go back under the water. And I went scuba diving with a buddy of mine once. You're not supposed to share these dive computers because one diver could go do- lower, deeper than another diver, and you know we want to have as precise calculations as possible. And we got to this dive site, and uh, he goes, "Ah, crap! I can't, uh, I can't dive. I don't, I don't have my dive computer, or his dive computer was broken. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't working, or he didn't have it." But I said to him, well, that's fine. Let's just pull out the dive table, and we'll do the dive table. Uh, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> like I learned how to do that a long time ago, and then they handed me this computer. And in a lot of ways, I think that all of these really cool, fancy things that we get at the drop zone that allow us to make fast decisions about what we need to do, I think, we, I think we, we've gotten far away from just going and standing in the field and feeling the wind and saying, yeah. what does the wind feel like right now to me? Yeah. Or, you know, or sitting there and watching the plane and going, wow, it's doing a north jumper and it doesn't look like it's going fast. I may not know what ground speed is, but I know it's not fast. <laughs> right. So I don't need to know the exact number. And uh, we've gotten away from people doing that to the point where uh, when, when the rubber meets the road, people don't know what to do. Because when the, when the weather clock goes down or when the, you know, they don't know what to do. And I think that that uh, can be a detriment in a lot of cases, for especially for people that want to travel to new drop zones that don't have this technology and all these cool things that are the byproduct of being a really successful skydiving business.
1: I, I really think that some of it is technology that it's important that we implement, like like a Cypress. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? I'm going to use that. An Audible. I'm going to use that every time. And those things are super practical and super helpful, but I do agree that there are places, not not everywhere is like Spaceland. And if you're a homegrown Spaceland jumper, maybe you haven't traveled enough to And to that's not to that that say that.
2: there aren't a lot of really awesome drop zones out there, because... Obviously, I'm a, I'm a Spaceland guy because I love Spaceland, and this is my home. But there's a lot of other really awesome drop zones out there that have a lot of different innovations too, but I know exactly what you're talking about. But no, I, I agree that you know, there are certainly people who, I mean, I can say, this
1: happened today, that I was on the last load, and it was 85 knots ground speed, I remember. And I said, hey, guys, it was 85 on the last load. And it's not like it's going to be, it might be 80, it might be 90, but it's not going to be 60, and it's not going to be a hundred and twenty, yeah. and it's. And, but people are still looking up towards the pilot with that same level of urgency. of, I have to know right now, what yeah. what is ground speed right this second? And those are the same people who also aren't watching people leave. That's, like they're that's not. The they're not growing yeah. the visual cue that should sh- that you should build in. Oh, this is what seven seconds of separation at yeah. eight knots looks like.
2: What's going to happen when you go to a drop zone where the pilot doesn't yell out what jumps jump run and ground speed is or ground speed? I mean that's. Like you said, if they can't look out of the plane and be like, yeah, we shouldn't leave yet, we need to give those guys more separation, that could potentially be a
1: problem. And I, I do understand that thought for a new jumper. Like someone with less than 100 jumps, Like, that's a really reasonable question to ask of, hey, hey person next to me who is wearing an orange staff shirt, how much time should I give? Yeah. Oh, cool, this is... Uh, this is our little ground speed chart right here. We're, we're going to hope for a, a ground speed from the pilot. Today, it's been about this, so you could probably give about this. Yeah.
2: So this is the this is the conversation I have with people who come to me who want to be mentors. So for those of you that don't jump at Spaceland, we have a, a program called the Mentor Program. And the Mentor Program is pretty awesome because it takes somebody that's an A-licensed jumper under 100 jumps and says, we're going to provide you with somebody to be your mentor. Uh, and that mentor is not just like a coach where we're teaching you how to fly better. But that mentor is really uh, helping them develop their skills in regards to planning a safe jump. My, an example would be I would take a young jumper as a mentor, and they're my mentee, and I would ask, start asking them questions like, hey, which way is jump run? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Okay, how can we find out? Let's go over to our safety board. And it's really about introducing them to all the tools that we use at Spaceland to help us plan a safe skydive. And you can even ask the question, uh, what, what do you think ground speed is going to be? Well, I don't know. Why is that important? Well, <laughs> let me tell you why. How do we determine what it's going to be? Well, the pilot's going to tell us. Well, what if the pilot doesn't tell us? Well, I don't know. All right, well, let's walk through that process. And so um, the mentor program is, is, that's what it's, in my opinion, that's what it's designed for. Not necessarily teaching people how to free fall better, although that's part of it. But it's really about, you know, plan, brief, execute, debrief. And the process, the briefing, the processes that we use in order to make sure that we're planning a safe skydive. I can take a young jumper over to the board and say, hey, you know, I can see on the board here that the plane's going to be doing a north jump run. And we can see that at altitude, the wind's blowing to the south and it's blowing at 80 knots. Do you think it's going to be a fast jump run or a slow jump run? We don't need to know exactly what it is. We just need to know, is it fast or is it slow? And now we can look out the door and say, well, we know it's going to be a slow jump. Yeah, run. Yeah,
1: you, you can at least have some of this information before you're panicking. Correct. Yelling so when the pilot doesn't the turn
2: pilot. and yell, uh, yell what jump run is, and you're sitting there screaming at the pilot, who's probably talking to, uh, talking to a, a, uh, uh, air traffic control, talking to who are other aircraft, they're doing a million other things, and now they're expected to turn around and yell a number at you that you should kind of have a basic understanding of in the first place. You know, maybe the pilot doesn't get a chance to do that every time. So and you I, need to be I, able to plan something.
1: I do play both sides of this issue because I, I'm not a pilot. I don't know how demanding it is to be in that in that seat all the time, but I've been skydiving for long enough to see that there are pilots who do a really good job of giving that information and giving sure. it in a calm, collected, and cool, non-judgmental, I don't hate skydivers type of attitude. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the opposite. Oh, for sure. And so it's like, hey, I, I get that you don't see every skydiver utilizing the information that you're passing back to its fullest extent. Maybe you're still going to be yelling at a bunch of stupid videographers and tandem instructors that we're going 110 knots, and maybe it's still going to take us 10 seconds between yeah, tandems. Yeah. But then sometimes we are going to have a day where that information is actually important and that it's important that we use it. Sure. And I, I get that those days are a little um, a little less common, Yeah. but... Uh, I sure appreciate a kind pilot, and it's a lot easier to follow the rules of a kind pilot when, you know, that, uh, that kind interaction is going both ways.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: I, I, uh, I've had a thought, you know, I, writing Safety Day, I put a lot of thoughts down. I do a lot of, of digging into to different uh, ideas. Something I've never really thought about out loud or said out loud is I've, I, I've recently thought about ground speed as being the speed limit on a freeway. Knowing the speed limit before you get on the freeway is super helpful. It's going to be 65 when I get on this freeway. There's zero guarantee of that. It could be 20 miles an hour. It could be 100 miles an hour. The one thing is is I have an expectation. Knowing that expectation ahead of time is helpful. But what do I do ultimately? I watch the traffic ahead of me and I manage it. And if I know it's going to be 65, more than likely I know I need to be going fast. If I know the speed limit is going to be 25, I more than likely know I need to be going slow. So, uh, it's really knowing that idea, knowing that information is super helpful. The thing that you said is, and kind of got us this conversation, is it's technology that's almost a detriment to us. To to an extent, yeah. To an extent, for sure. And the thing that we need to learn to do, and the thing that I think we're doing better today, is we're now using that information to educate. Yeah, for sure. We had to educate to understand that information to a point. And as teachers, I think we've gotten lazy and complacent and not taught the next level of information. Instead, yeah. as and, and I don't mean any one of us, but as a, as a society, we've instead complained about these jumpers just know this and they're not doing any more with that information. Mm -hmm. I know you educate. I ain't picking on you. I've been on the drop zone with you when you walked up to somebody. I mean, standing next to me, you're like, I'm going to choke this motherfucker. And then you walk up like, hey, man, what about this information? And And then
2: I (laughs) choke him with knowledge and politeness. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With that very shit-eating grin. I think that's the quote of the day. (laughs) I'm going to go choke this man with politeness.
0: Uh, We we forget to do that. So that technology is very useful. It is a detriment? Well,
2: there's a reason why uh, when you look at uh, when uh, things like GPS, for instance, uh, started becoming very popular, uh, the U.S. military ground forces stopped, really stopped teaching you how to read a map because why? We got this technology. Uh, the naval forces stopped teaching cadets how to navigate by the stars <laughs> for, for a period of time. Uh, now they're going back to it, and they've been doing it now for the last decade at least, teaching them how to... Get along without all this fantastic equipment and technology because when it goes to shit, and it will eventually, you're going to have to be able to make your own decisions. And that's uh, that's in a lot of ways where I kind of feel we are as the sport in the sport of skydiving. There's a lot of good technology that helps us make these decisions, but when that technology goes to crap, or you're in a place that doesn't have it, how are you going to make smart decisions? And that's uh, that that can be one of those issues that uh, you uh, young jumpers who want to start traveling can run into for sure. Especially if you're going to travel overseas.
0: What do you mean, especially if you're going to overseas? You're going to
2: travel to places that don't have the technology that we do. Yeah. Or they don't, you don't have the, uh, the the language abilities to even know what the pilot is telling you when they turn around and say what ground speed is in French.
0: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and a lot in some of those countries, a lot of the uh, regulation and policies are very different. Correct. And when I say different, in some cases, a lot more relaxed. And that's not Mm -hmm. necessarily bad, but if they're relaxed, you're not used to that environment. You definitely don't understand what's going on. Yeah, for sure. These become limitations.
1: I was going to say I have shown up to a drop zone in the United States where no one knew what the uppers were. No one knew how to find those uppers. No one knew what direction jump run was, and everyone on the previous load had landed off. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Shit show. I uh, and I w- let me guess, you did ten awesome jumps there. Nope, didn't jump left. <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> <love> you just <laughs> described my experience at Lodi, the first and last time I went to Lodi.
0: I would love to say that's like not uncommon or unheard of, but man, I've been to a few drop zones where that is not unheard of. That is not not an often the case, and it's sad because. Man, 15, 20 years ago, we were having to call, I forget, 1-800-WX-BRIEF. Remember that Yeah, number? Yeah. yeah. Uh, They're I'm
1: still using that in the uh, drone flying community, yep, by the way. Are. Yeah, they
0: are. Why, man? It's on the computer. It's old school, dude. They got it in my phone. Yeah. Uh, and you had to uh, get the reports that way. There was all sorts of different ways to get the information. And we were able to get it. Today's day and age in technology and all the free apps out there. I don't understand why people We've have been
2: seen. getting, uh, so one of the things that we've been doing up in Dallas um, is we've been getting quite a few uh, powered parachutes and powered paragliders that want to come out and utilize our beautiful 80 acres of land that we have in order to fly. So we, we are, we have become a little bit more like a flight park in that sense. And you know, one of the things they say when they walk in the door, they they are in shock when they walk in the door, they're like, wait a second, you have a deli? Wait a second. You have a rigging loft with a master rigger and like six senior riggers. Wait a second. You've got technology that I can put on my phone that'll tell me exactly what the winds aloft are doing right here and what the ground winds are doing, and I can read it from my home. These people are like salivating over how awesome we have it at the at the drop zone, just because they want to come out and fly their powered paragliders and stuff uh, during periods of time when we're not able or we're not going to be jumping because the the weather's. Uh, Good for them, but we, it's like right at the beginning of the day and end of the day. But anyways. Do they
1: also go into manifest and throw a fit when the wind meter isn't working? No.
2: No, they don't. <laughs> you want to know why? Because they're so used to standing in a field and feeling the wind out and saying, what is the wind doing right now, regardless of what it says on my phone, that uh, when things aren't working, they, they just go out and they, they feel their way through it, like we've done for decades. <laughs> you know. Because when you're standing on the side of a mountain with a paraglider, you're not going to have all that information there. You've got to sit there and really feel out what you're about to do because uh, it, could, it could literally
0: lead to your death if you don't calculate things correctly. You can see the windsock under parachute. You can't see your phone, a computer. You can't see reports under canopy. And you want to be able to make a quick change or you want to be able to make a quick adjustment And you'll probably be okay if you don't know the exact change of the winds, but if you can read a windsock, you're probably going to make a really tight adjustment and still be super accurate and feel super comfortable and feel super confident, which is just going to allow you to do more cool shit. Yeah, for sure. You're going to be able to jump in, in different situations because you've paid attention, you've learned the conditions. Uh, Nick, man, if you can s- share this one on the on, on the comments, is Gravity Lab, Mark Schultz. You know the uh, website I'm talking about, Nick. Do you have this? Yeah, uh,
1: I don't have that one saved, but yeah. I'm sure I can. If find you,
0: it you just here. type in
2: winds aloft, Mark Schultz, it'll bring it up.
0: Yeah, uh, go to this guy's uh, website on on your phone and just let it use your location. And right now, it's giving me the winds aloft reported every thousand feet, one, two, three, four, every thousand feet, and speed, direction, and temperature. And it's super helpful. I love what we get standard, 3, 6, nine, 12. Uh, But knowing what the ones are doing under canopy is super helpful. Yep. And if your drop zone doesn't have this kind of technology available, it's cool. We get it, man. We are spoiled where we jump. But this information is available to you. Yeah,
2: there's tons of information out there that is available to you remotely via mobile devices. Um, that may not be an official, the drop zone didn't maybe create it, but you can find out what's going on around you and above you yeah. uh,
0: just by looking it up. An app I know you use a lot is Wendy. Yeah, W-I-N-D-Y. Wendy's, Wendy's a big one for us. Wendy is a huge and one. And,
2: you know, typically speaking, when I'm making uh, decisions about what I think the winds aloft are doing or what uh, the winds on the ground are doing, I'm usually looking at four or five different sources. And I'm taking those numbers and I'm using them to say, okay, you know, based on, based on what I know about this particular website, Uh, Windy, for example, is usually about four or five miles per hour below what is actually happening outside when I read it on the app. Now, that's just like nine times out of ten. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Same thing with (coughs) winds aloft. You know, uh, I know that it's not 100 percent what it says right there is not 100 percent accurate because nothing can be 100 percent accurate. But when you start using different places and and formulating what you think is actually going on (coughs) above you, it still doesn't take away from the fact that I'm going to go o- outside, and I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to watch what's going on around me. If I can say, hey, those clouds look to be about 1,000 feet, and they look to be moving really fast, uh, I don't really need to look at an app <laughs> to know that the winds are too fast for me to jump in this these conditions, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's just, you know, this is good information to have. And I'll tell you, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I look at those apps, because I'm trying to f- gauge in my mind you know, what the day is going to be like, or at least what the morning's going to be like. But uh, you know, my opinion sometimes changes the second I step outside and I actually
0: look at what's going on around me. Looking uh, all these weather apps, all these weather channels are, are just the best guess of each meteorologist. It's their job to sensationalize it, make it sound different. If they all said the same thing, you wouldn't listen to them. So, watching them all, between them all, you're probably going to find the truth in the middle of it somewhere. Yeah, for sure. And and read it a couple times a day. I'm sure you do the same. For yep. me. Uh, For example, NOAA's wind uh, hourly weather graph. Mm -hmm. The winds for tomorrow, this evening, will calm uh, will calm down. Yep. But this morning, the winds for tomorrow looked really high. Mm -hmm. Not the truth. I I think you know I'm trying to say there. So you'll notice most of these
2: sites. Most of these sites too have five to ten day forecasts. I don't look past usually 24 to 48 hours because there's no point. I mean, because after that, I mean, it's a best guess right now, anyways. In 10 days, it's really a good guess, and it's going to be probably not
0: accurate. uh, We have nothing to do with any of these websites or apps, but another one that I really recommend people check out is AeroWeather, A-E-R-O Weather. Weather. Uh, It's an app. It's free. There is a paid version. Um, I've always used a free version. It gives you what's called terminal aerodrome forecast TAFs. Um, And they're like a 36-hour guesstimate of what the clouds are going to be. So if you've ever heard the pilot say, yo, man, I think it's going to break up around 11 11 o'clock. He's not the smartest guy on the DZ. He has a better app than you do. He probably pays for a really nice version.
2: That's true. Um, Or, uh, you know, one of the other apps that I find myself using as a manager quite a bit is uh, ForeFlight. And, of course, it costs money Mm -hmm. uh, because it's mainly for pilots. But uh, the weather forecast and the weather information on there currently you know, it's it's pretty accurate. It gives me a really good understanding of what's going on
0: above us. A uh, four flight is the one I don't have that I would I would pay for. It, or I want I wouldn't pay for, it, but I would want. Yeah, I'm yeah. just too it's damn cheap. It's pretty expensive. It's pretty expensive. Yeah. There's always somebody I know really well on the drop on with four flight. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> you Hey, just borrow it. Jorge, what's going on, man? Hey, Heath, hey, Ben, what's yeah. going on? So it works pretty easy. It's a tax write off as a manager. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, yeah, but I'd rather just not – I'd rather keep the money. The, uh, some of the good and bad has been some of the technology over the years. Uh, man, I, I really – we can go into arguments and conversations all day about AADs and, and, and RSLs, but I'm, I don't want to do in the gear conversation today. But uh, another part of the sport, good or bad, really is, is what I do, and that's provide a service. I've actually had people complain over the years. This is not regular. And they're usually old time skydivers. Like, oh man, there was a day where you would just do this for free. I'm like, well, man, I gotta pay my bills and my eat bills, dinner, son. bro. You know, and a I gotta do that, but b it's allowed us to become a more professional service yeah, and provide better sure. services. I
2: think one <laughs> of the things that um, I try not to forget is that the the services we provide as a as a skydiving business and as a skydiving instructors. Let's be honest, right? It's it's a uh it's a luxury, right? This is not we're not curing cancer and we're not <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like uh if the economy takes a massive dump tomorrow, what are the first things that are going to start to go? People aren't going to be thinking about skydiving, they're going to be thinking about eating and they're going to be thinking about, you know what I'm saying? And so I try not to stray far from from remembering that because um it's a luxury. What we're doing is a luxury. But what I will say, secondary to that, is I get frequently get people that ask me, you know, uh, why don't you still work in medicine? I used to work in medicine many years ago. Uh, I did a lot of emergency medicine, occupational health and safety. Why don't you do that anymore? And the response that I have to them is, you know, when you're, when you're saving a life, that's one thing, right? It, you, and, and that's, but that's very mechanical, like, you learn these things to do that anybody could do. I could train a monkey to start an IV, right? Or I could train a, a, a an idiot to read this EKG. It, to an extent, there is a little bit of knowledge that you need to have. But saving a life and changing a life are two totally different things. You could save a life today, and that life is not going to be worth anything tomorrow if they continue down the path that they're taking. But every time we land with a tandem, it, you're changing someone's life, I'm telling you right now. It, their, their perspective on things are so different that in some cases people literally drop what they're doing and they decide that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's a life-changing experience. So on the one hand, we're a luxury item, and on the other hand, we're also a life-changing type situation. So trying to find the balance between the two is, is sometimes difficult, but um, I don't want to stray too far from that mindset because we are a luxury, but how many lives have we changed just, just by doing what we love to do? That's pretty rad, in my opinion.
0: I think um, most people who know me know this very well, and I think it's true of all three of us, that one of the big reasons we do what we do is to give back to what's given to us. Once upon a time, this sport gave us the opportunity. You know, Nick was in his place in life. Myself, we've all grown through the sport. I mean, you're still an asshole. Well, yeah, But you're a better asshole.
2: But I'm your asshole. Wait, no, gross.
0: <laughs> no, I would never wipe you. <laughs> Wait. Well, here we are. Why <laughs> have you been so itchy today, Ben? 20 minutes. <laughs> are you Why going are t- you inflamed? <laughs> Preparation H. <laughs> how, well, is, how, how is we, that hemorrhoid <laughs> treating you, Ben?
2: <laughs> uh, how did you know that's what I named my third dog? <laughs> Come here, hemorrhoid. <laughs> Little Uh, little hammy, uh, man. It's a hammy.
0: How is churro?
2: Churro is awesome. She's turned into a really good dog. So for anybody out there that doesn't know, um, I've gotten all my dogs in like weird ways. (laughs) And the last dog that I got that I did not intend to have, uh, somebody threw her in a trash bag, a garbage bag with garbage on the side of the road, somewhere around the drop zone, and someone picked it up and found this dog. And next thing you know, the dog's running around the drop zone. And so I managed to catch her with some bacon. (laughs) <laughs> and she's <laughs> and she's now part of the pack and uh, she's turned into a really good dog.
0: Oh, she looks so I mean, I felt so bad for her when I first met her cuz yeah. she looked horrible. Oh yeah. And uh, I actually that was a, I was there that week that she showed up. Mm-hmm. And last time I saw her, man, she she's friendly. Oh, she's yeah. got a full full body of fur nowadays. Yep. She's got a full body. Yep, her f-
2: the hair on her face was gone when I first got her because I, I thought it was mange, but it turned out to be just a skin condition. But uh, she's fit. She's fit right in. Now I got three Chihuahuas in there. God, I hate them, but I love them. Ah, <sighs> man.
0: Oh, I, uh, I think I'll be out in April. Maybe me. Yeah. I, I might be sending Fudala. Got some work coming up out there. I'd like to be the one to come out. Just check in on the place. Yeah, everything's While going well.
2: Fudala comes out. He's definitely going to have to play with my dogs. Peanut butter, your dogs? Yes, peanut butter with my dogs. Cool. Um,
0: Gross. The, the upside, downside. Back to we d- we have created a business doing what yep. we do. Uh, Flight one, uh, Greg Windmiller. But again, these guys have pushed the limit. There are people doing things today with canopies with a thousand jumps that we would never think possible. There's people doing yeah, it with sure. 500 jumps. There's people doing things with canopies with 100 jumps that we couldn't do 20 years ago, and that's land really well. Um, so, w- we're definitely making a safer, a better sport, and people are excelling more because of it. Yeah, to an, ex- to an extent. I think, um, you
2: know, we had uh, the last couple of years when we look at this uh, USPA safety statistics. So, safety day, we usually sit down and we look at the statistics. I was having a conversation with somebody about this today about, you know, um, we, I kind of feel like we need to start separating out the term de license from experience. Because we can turn out de-licenses very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so we've got these numbers that we use nowadays for things like when should people start wingsuiting? When should people start flying video cameras? Um, And when you see in the safety statistics that the vast majority of the people that are getting hurt are de-licensed people, and then you say, well, that means experienced people are getting injured. But we don't have any data to say how long those people have been in the sport especially when you can turn out a D license in six months at most places now. It's hard for me to st- say in my brain that that necessarily equates to a D license equates to experience or that 200 jumps is even remotely where we need to be in order to start doing some of these things that I've, have proven to be um, more and more dangerous as they become more popular, if that makes sense.
0: I, d- I want to go back in the middle of that statement. Oh. It does. Uh, you said, uh, so the statistics from last year is, and historically, historically, completely across yeah. the board, is most of our fatalities are d license holders, and you said uh, 600 jumps in six months or 500 jumps in six months. Yeah. I think more of those fatalities, and I do firmly believe because I know a lot of the history of them, sure. are actually people with 500 jumps over 10 years. Yeah, for and sure. that's a scary yeah, part. There's,
2: there's two folds to that, and number one is you can become a license jumper very quickly, or number two... Maybe you have maybe you have five or six hundred jumps over a period of years. How current are you? And so there's this kind of balance between um, getting a lot of jumps and still not having the knowledge, and having not that many jumps, but not still not being current. You know what I'm saying? And so it it uh, from a drop zone manager's perspective, it becomes very difficult to say who should and shouldn't be doing these things how many times are we going to have an incident with this particular type of skydive before we say, well, maybe people with more jumps or more experience need to be able to do these things. It's a tough, it's a tough place to be, man, especially when you consider that a drop zone is not a democracy, right? It's uh, to be fair to people that talk to me all the time, well, this doesn't seem fair, and this doesn't seem that. Look, this isn't about being fair. I represent a man who, who owns a bunch of drop zones, and my thought process has to be, most of the time, how is this going to affect the business? And if there's a liability part to that, uh, I have to be cautious. I have to be very cognizant of that as a manager, because just because you want to go do something and I say, you're not going to do it. Well, I have 200 jumps. Well, that doesn't mean that I'm still going to let you go do that. And Mm -hmm. this isn't a democracy. You don't get to like, tell me what, what you will or will not do. I'm going to tell you what you will or will not do. And we'll
0: try and work through it. But um it's not a democracy it's a people say it's not fair my perception of what is fair my parents said something it's not fair is what i said as a kid yeah as a grown-ass man i understand their decision and it was fair i didn't understand what fair is so now in some cases yes it's not fair it's just what has to be sure you i we all in this business and in life in general make decisions that we don't necessarily prefer, but we understand is the best for the situation. Correct. So we get everything's not fair. But a lot of times, it's your perception of what is or isn't fair. Not yours. Yeah. The people who are complaining. Sure. Perception of what is or isn't fair. That, that is that the bigger problem. Mm-hmm. And understand that these guys, y- you know, when Ben says, I'm watching out for the the better of the business, the b- the, 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 the what's best for the business safety is what's best for the business. Th- that is Your what's well best be. for the business.
2: Oh, for ab- absolutely. When I say that, I'm not sitting here going, it's better for people to get hurt on the drop zone <laughs> business-wise. What I'm saying is that um, there are going to be times that I'm going to definitely have to lean more towards the conservative side of things, uh, only because more often than not, the safest course of action is, the best, is what's best for the company as a whole mm-hmm. uh, for that particular time. Now, don't get me wrong. I want people to go out there and get better and, and advance in the sport. But, uh, you know, we just have to weigh that as managers. It's not fun. It's not easy. We were having that conversation earlier about uh, freshly A-licensed people and how often do you get on the plane and you say, what are you doing, Mr. 40 jumps? I'm working on my head down. You know, technically speaking, there's no rule that says they can't go do that. Yeah, that's right? the and so, and so there, we have There to isn't a rule to fall back and on. And so we have to manage that. And as a drop zone manager, and how, how did you handle that earlier? We were talking about it. You basically told the guy, like, no, I'm not going to let you go do that. Yeah, Let's go do something else, and then I'll explain to you why later.
1: Yeah, I said, I'm not going to let you do that, but I'm going to come with you and, and yeah. give you some coaching on yeah, something sure. that's practical.
2: For sure. But, you know, you talk to these people, and it's like uh, some, uh, there's been a few conversations I've had where the end result is you're not hearing what I'm saying, and so I'm just not going to let you do that here. Sorry. You're going to have to go somewhere else and do it somewhere else where they're willing to take that risk, and I'm not willing to take that risk as a manager. It's difficult. It's a lot like uh, back home. We call it uh, win- we call winter babies, people who are born in uh, some from Alaska, people who are born in the summertime. They get their driver's license in the summertime when they turn sixteen, and they get to spend two or three months driving in normal conditions, and then all of a sudden that first day of snow hits, and they get upset when mom and dad says, "No, you're not driving to school today." Well, why not? I got my driver's license. <laughs> well, you're not going to do it because uh, you don't understand the risks. Well, that's not fair. Yes it's, yes, it's definitely not fair. Sorry, but I'm still not going to go do that. And so in a lot of ways, that's, that's what you find yourself as as a manager, saying, I know you think that you understand the risk, and I know you feel like you are able to go do this safely, but you're not, and because you're not listening to what I'm saying or listening to how, what I'm trying to explain to you as to why it's not safe, I'm just going to go ahead and say, you're not going to do it. Like There's no way I can explain it to you that's going to cause you to agree with me. So I'm just not going to explain it anymore. I'm just going to say you can't do it. Sorry. Come back to me when you have more jumps.
1: Bro, I've got 100 jumps. I'm the king of skydiving. You don't know this?
0: I got like, do you know dude, I, 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 got like I got like. eight hours of tunnel time, bro. <laughs> and more often than not, when you're dealing with, with a lot of people in the sport more experienced than you, if they have bottom-lined you saying just no, chances are they've tried to explain to you what the, you need to hear, and you haven't heard yeah, it. For sure. And they've probably at this point bottom-lined because they've gotten there. Um, one of the things that you mentioned through that is, is a de-license doesn't mean you're good, doesn't mean you're, you're, you're great, doesn't mean you have a skill set to a point. just means you have sure. 500 jumps with some skill. You have to have a couple sure. of qualifications. Uh, y- to, to fly a camera, you have to have 200 jumps. What's 200? What, what do these numbers really do for you, right? Yeah, correct. So some countries have stricter qualifications for licensing. Some countries have stricter uh, qualifications for different uh, levels of ratings. Yeah. Uh, larger proof now. Part of it is is their CAA, Civil Aviation Authority, uh, generic term for our FAA. Sure. Um, will will uh, mandate their governing body, their National Aero Club. Mm-hmm. So uh, APF is Australian, BPA British, mm-hmm. USPA uh, their their National Aero Club. So uh, here in America, we're not governed. We're we're not mandate rather. So we have to be a little bit less tight on our laws, or people won't become USPA members. Yeah. Correct. But at the same time, do you think there's a point in time to say, hey, we need to as an industry, whether it's USPA, as, as a society, whatever, we need to raise the bar to what qualifies somebody for these licenses? Oh,
2: absolutely. And the reason I'm saying this is because um, m- the interaction we've had with the F- the interaction I've had as a manager with the FAA over the last couple of years has been one of we've had a lot of tandem fatalities that we haven't really seen in years past. And there were some specific reasons. Time, behind out. That. time out. Time
0: yeah. out. We being the sport, the not sport. we being your drops,
2: Not being my drop zone. <laughs> okay, we, just saying. When I'm saying we at this point in time, I'm talking about sports, okay. uh, the sport as a whole. And there were uh, there were situations behind that. But anytime something like that happens, we are scrutinized by, uh, by both the public and the FAA. And so the FAA is looking at us going... Is it really going to be worth our while to continue to let uh, tandem operations occur in the United States? At what, at what point in time are they going to finally say, you know what, this isn't worth it anymore? What would happen tomorrow if they did that to the drop to our drop zone? We just discussed earlier how tandems, you know, for the let's be honest, the, mostly it's what tandems is what drives the business and what gives the, the fun jumpers all the lift capacity that they want and all these extra little doodads and stuff that they get. What's going to happen when those go away? Or are limited, or are regulated to a point where uh, we got to charge six hundred dollars a tandem, and how many tandems are we going to do this year? Not as many as we did last year because they're too expensive. Uh, we would get to a point where that could be a problem. That could be a major problem. So there's that. And then number two, what I'm discovering as well is that there's a public perception, whenever there's an incident, uh, that we are very underregulated or non-regulated uh, as an I- as an industry and as a sport. And to an extent, they're relatively right. I mean, USPA. If you, f- if you decide to follow USPA, um, the vast majority of that stuff, the, the stuff that they're telling us to, to do is, is more like guidelines to an extent. There are very few FAA regulations around skydiving that we have to follow, and we follow them. But other than that, a lot of it's just like we're pretty, we're pretty non-regulated to an extent as a sport in the United States. You look at France, hell, they tell you what kind of canopy you have to fly at a certain uh, jump number, and they are not flexible on that. Well, we don't have that here in the States. And so on the one hand, we are we are um, not super regulated. And on the other hand, it's like, are there times we need to be a little bit more regulated? Yeah, it's a tough call. It really is a tough call. But yeah, I have an obligation to the FAA, and I have an go- obligation to the public, and I have an obligation to the fun jumpers, and it's a tough balance. I'm not going to lie.
0: I don't think we'll ever see in America the governing of wing loadings. Uh, I don't think so either, and, and quite frankly, and I'm not saying we should either. No. By the
2: way, I'm just using that as an example of, you know, when you go to other countries like you were talking about, some places are super regulated. You're not going to be jumping that small canopy at 100 jumps like you want, like you are yeah. able to here in the states.
0: I actually just got a message the other day from a dude who uh, is from I forget what country he's in right now. Uh, Connor Johnston. I don't know if you uh, you don't know him. Nick knows him maybe. Uh, our, our Scottish friend? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, he was sounds very Scottish. Yeah, he was on the jump package last year. Oh, nice. And he needs uh, clearance to jump a canopy that he's buying, and he was jumping the same size canopy here. Uh, he just was borrowing it from a friend while he was here the whole time, and well not th- the whole time he was jumping it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- they are very, very strict. Uh, I don't necessarily think we should have those rules either, but at the same time, I think as, an, as a community... We need to do a better job policing our meetings. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I
2: think that that's a pretty good statement as a whole. Like if we do a much better job of self-regulating, then we're never going to be in a spot where, where, s- as somebody that's had to work uh, very closely with government agencies and in in other careers in my life, you never want to get into a spot where there's somebody in an office in Washington that is writing a regulation for you, and they have no idea what they're talking about. That person's probably not going to be a skydiver. Probably not going to be a pilot. This is just going to be and something that, doesn't give a shit about. A, and you. when you read when you read these news reports after an incident occurs and you see how uh, inaccurate the news report is, imagine what this person in in Washington D.C. or wherever they are writing this o- Oklahoma if they're the FAA. Imagine uh, the experience they have or what they uh, the perception they have about the sport based on what they've read in the media, mm-hmm. and now they're going to make a regulation. Uh, the geared towards you or your drop zone or whatever, um, you're going to find yourself in spots where it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And of course it doesn't, because that person doesn't know what they're talking about. But they're the government, so uh, you run into that in environmental sciences quite a bit. Uh, Most of the people I deal with that write environmental laws back when I was in occupational health and safety. They were writing laws when they didn't even know what
0: it meant. And we pride ourselves on being a self-governed sport, USPA fights regularly. A guy named Randy Ottinger is our director of government relations yeah. is regularly working with FAA to keep the FAA off our back. He is wants us to be self-policed. USPA wants to be self-policed. As a sport, we pride ourselves on self-policing. And as skydivers, if we don't want USPA to tell us how to do it, I'm a supporter of USPA, but I don't need them telling me how to do it because we're doing the right things ourselves. Yeah, correct. We don't need the, the FA telling us what to do. We don't need USPA telling us what to do. We need to tell ourselves what to do. We need to do it the best way we can, the right way for we sure. can. And if we do, A, nobody's going to bother me. And B, I'm going to do this for a really long time. Yeah, And I really and that's my goal. I really want to do this for as long as I can.
2: Yeah, for sure. We uh, There was a conversation online a while back about what is the advantage or disadvantage of a drop zone being uh, USPA affiliated. And uh, you know, one of the things that I told a person in private was, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest bonuses of being affiliated with USPA is not, not the least of which is anytime you're part of an organization where there's a standard that, that, that standardization really does, in my opinion, help. But number two, they deal with, they are our go between between the government and the, and the fund jumper. Right. Yeah. And it's good to know that you have an organization on your back that are jumpers that are handling those kind of, not back room, but like you know out, out of the picture type conversations taking place in places like Washington, DC um, in order to con- continue allow us to continue the stuff to do the stuff that we do. Some people see it as a little bit of an impediment, but for the most part, we need it. We need to have that open communication with with government agencies that mm-hmm. allow us to do these things.
0: Man, the biggest reason I think we should all be members, not the biggest reason, a big reason I think we should all be members of USPA is plain and simple, we're a gang against the FAA. If we're not all members of USPA, now the FAA goes, well, nobody's governing you. We need to do it. Yeah. As long as the FAA looks down and goes, well, who's governing you? Oh, you guys are all like volunteering to this governing body? Oh, well, you guys are doing a dang good job. that That's the goal is for them to look at us and go, oh, you guys are taking care of it. Uh, F- USPA has a lot of other great benefits. But being a member, a group member as a drop zone, helps us gang up and pack together to keep away from the FAA. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's if, if something you mentioned, social media. I just got to say it. I know I've said it before. I- if you're posting stuff on, social me- stuff on social media, know the FAA is watching. Mm-hmm. Know people in places of authority are watching. Uh, we, we've heard, I say we, people from USPA, have heard time and time again that the FAA, from people at the FAA, There are people who are watching as part of their job is to watch social media to find out the stupid things we're doing so they can either A, bust us or B, create more regulation or prove need of more regulation. Mm -hmm. So stop posting like really do your cool shit every week. And uh, I'm not going to say if it's good or if it's bad. Share those videos privately amongst your friends. Stop putting that shit on Facebook. Quit
2: giving uh, ammunition to the people that want to use it against you. man. Social
0: media, such a horrible place. Man, Nick, you have been so busy over there with that little Mm -hmm. camera. I have never. Hey, man, I'm getting the shot. Dude, no, it's money, man. I've I've actually I've watched and paid attention and Maybe tried I'll just to leave it on
1: me for a little bit. Yeah. What's up, ladies?
0: What's up?
1: Yeah, now you ruined it. No, I'm not gonna do anything.
0: What? No.
1: If you guys are just listening to this, <laughs> I've been really active in switching the camera views to make it a little more entertaining to watch. So hey, maybe next time maybe next time you tune in on Facebook, uh, you can participate in the conversation. You can leave a nasty comment for Ben Nelson. It's been happening. Really? Oh yeah, everyone hates Ben. <laughs> Dude, what kind of nasty comments has been had? <laughs> give me the worst. Oh, give me the worst one. Was, no, it was mostly just Justin. He was making fun of your capri pants, and he said <laughs> the boner pillow thing, and also said that you don't know how to read, and you're uh, cross-eyed, and uh, you look like you have had a stroke. Okay, he didn't say any of those last <laughs> <laughs> things. I was just trying to make up some wow. shit. I was but like, damn, Justin. No, you he, he, he didn't going. go that hard, but he did make fun of your capris. Sorry. Man he producer. said, uh, "He said, is he wearing capri pants? <laughs> I seen those at Target. That's just funny to me."
0: One of the uh, other comments you you made through that was with USPA. We really don't have that much regulation. That really thick manual we have. There's about two or three pages of BSRs basic safety requirements. That are require, yeah. Requirements. After that, everything else in the book are just really damn good suggestions. Yep. Except for when you get to section nine, and that's the Federal Aviation Regulation yep. section. So there's another small section, uh, excerpts from the FAR FARM, Federal Aviation Regulation Manual, and three pages. Almost that entire document. And people will come to me all the time and say, well, this document says you have to do this. I'm like, no, it's just a recommendation. No, a recommendation. It's a damn good one. I would follow it. It's yeah. a great idea. But but we aren't that highly governed. We don't have that many rules.
2: No, and, th- and it becomes very uh, – that point alone becomes very prevalent when you are dealing with uh, – Media after an incident, uh, so we w- just so t- full disclosure. We did have a couple incidents this last weekend up in Scott at Scott Baseline Dallas, that involved uh, some AADS that fired that saved some people's lives. Nobody was killed. In fact, uh, the the amount of injuries were smaller than what I feel like they probably could have been. Um, we've got so much scrutiny from the uh, me- local media based on that incident, and nobody. There wasn't even a fatality involved, and the comments that I'm getting are, hey, uh, from, from reporters, hey, um, we're concerned. Uh, I, I've been talking to uh, residents who are concerned about the lack of regulation in your sport, and I'm sitting here scratching my head going, wow, like, that, that they just said that to me after this incident where nobody actually was killed, right? And uh, yeah, there were some injuries, and thank God nobody, w- it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But imagine what it would have been if it was a fatality. And they're saying this to me now. They're going to be saying it down the line, saying, well, if, would this person be alive if if they, if your sport was more regulated? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think so, necessarily, because we do a good job. And then it's a matter of us explaining to them what, what we do follow and the, the types of things that we do follow. It's just more difficult. But they're saying it. They're yeah. hearing it, and they're saying it. And people understand that when an incident occurs... The, the general population and the news media understand that we are pretty much not super regulated.
0: We're, we're uh, basically 99% uh, volu- self-regulated. We're a
2: volunteer-regulated uh, organization, s- yeah. basically. We're f- voluntarily following a set of rules that aren't necessarily law.
0: Yeah. We're self-regulated. Self-regulated, That's yeah. 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 And, and 99% self-regulated because there's a few things. You have to yeah, have two parachutes sure. to jump out. Yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. few FARs. Uh, but other than that, th- it's all voluntary regulation. It's all, it's all self-regulation, and, and it's working out fairly well. And one of the things that we've talked about is education, and one of those evidences is jump numbers have gone up dramatically over the years. Mm-hmm. Fatalities have actually gone down. You and I both did the fatality report this year. Yeah, for sure. This year, we've been recording as USPA fatalities for like 40-ish years, since 1960, 50-ish years, six, man, God, I'm getting old, um, 60-ish years and we the first year they recorded fatalities 13 this year 2018 13 yep. the only two years we've actually tied the record and the most jumps recorded yep. as well so our fatality index has gone down the number of p- uh, fatalities per 100,000 has gone down dramatically um it's education canopies we really had a hard time and we struggled with that we mm-hmm. were actually killing ourselves it was over 50% our number one killer mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, canopy regulation or canopy education became a mandate. Mm-hmm. We we were better at it. Brian Germain doing courses, Flight One doing courses, Scott Miller. But when t- in 2012, USPA said, "Hey, guys, you now have to do this canopy proficiency card," which mm-hmm. pushes canopy education. Uh, the first couple of years, fatality rates didn't go down. It takes time. Things got to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, change happens. And the last. Uh, I'm not going to count this year. The last three years prior, 24 and 25% of our fatalities were under canopy. This year, it said, and I don't know how you interpreted this in, in your presentation, but the, the presentation says something like 46% canopy landing problems. Mm-hmm. It was 8% because they were low cutaways. They were reserve line. They were line twist rid in it. Mm-hmm. There was only one legit landing problem. Yeah. 8%, man. Yeah. Education we talk about this technology in the plane we talk about the technology on the ground uh, of things education man these things are good things to have mm-hmm. but we got to teach it
2: yeah do you definitely have to teach it i think one of the things that we lack is um reporting and mm-hmm. w- uh, one of the things that i think is uh, the most important part about reporting when you work in any type of safety type business um there's a there's a kind of like a formula that you can use and basically, it's X number of near misses are going to equal X number of uh, uh, incidents are going to equal X number of critical incidents are going to e- equal X number of fatalities. It's called the safety pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, the base of that is near miss. I don't think we're reporting uh, qu- as many near misses as we probably could in order to gather better data to say what exactly we should be focusing on Um in the future as far as the training that we're talking yeah. about. like right, We were able to identify canopy issues as being a major issue, so we started focusing on that, and we were able to change the, the percentage of, of uh, fatalities and injuries substantially through education. Um, what are some of the things coming down the
0: line that we should be focusing on? It's tough to say. Without reporting. Without reporting. And so I, I agree with you, and I don't think people understand the reporting process USPA has. Yeah. Um, so first of all, we should be reporting. We need to report. Uh, for example, UPT, the tandem manufacturer, says report any cutaway, blah, blah, blah. And actually, we're one of the few drop zones that does. Mm-hmm. Spaceland Houston, we have a process in place that it gets reported and all the information gets documented. Myself and Stephen both see it before it goes out to uh, UPT. And, and we get it out to the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, USPA wants us to report anything. And the thing that I don't think most of us, or the thing that most of us are scared of, and I get this, is that we're, we're telling on ourselves. We're ratting on ourselves. Like, hey, man, look at this. Let me do it. And now I'm going to get in trouble. That's what we're afraid of. We're bringing attention to ourselves. USPA will, uh, I'm going to write a quick report. Ben Nelson, 38 th- uh, years old. How old are you really? Uh,
2: 38, totally. 42,
0: 43?
2: I'll be 41 this year.
0: Forty-one. Ben Nelson, 40 years old, Fuck you. adult male, <laughs> low turn under canopy, 300 feet, uh, has all these intimate details, and what they're going to extrapolate out of that is 30, a 41-year-old male, this turn, this altitude. They're just going to take the raw facts, take yeah. out any personal information out of it besides.
2: There's no names uh, involved in it there's in fact most of the time when you read it you will never know where it was where it happened mm-hmm. that's you're right they they take the basic information yeah. but really what it comes down to is mm-hmm. reporting it you know which is yeah. why which is why USPA is uh is kind of started to change some of the way they've uh, telling uh SNTA's to report nowadays you got a you got an AAD fire that was not something we used to report on now we have to
0: now it's a BSR I,
2: and i think it's very important that's a very important point like how many AAD saves do we have a year? I think that would be critical information. What type of activities are happening when those occur? Um, Do they happen more frequently with one type of skydive versus another type of skydive? We're never going to know this information unless we can get that data and we need people that are willing to report, not rat on yourself, but willing to report Mm -hmm. the the critical information so that we can start pinpointing uh, the areas that we need to start uh, educating. Mm -hmm. I feel like the, the term I have in my brain is a
1: NASA report. Is that a thing? That if you if you uh, share something in the interest of safety, it kind of protects you from getting in trouble with, with that I thing.
0: I don't. I haven't heard it as a NASA report. I, mean,
1: I might be remembering the wrong. But the wrong
0: word. Uh, maybe Boeing report. So as USPA goes, I was p- I've been part of the board through that process through what we're talking about here. Um, recently, they passed that, that F the the, uh, the uh, AAD rule and the AAD rule is simple. If any AAD fire happens on a student jump then uh, it needs to be reported, -reported Mm self-reported, within so many hours, and you will not get in any trouble. They just want to know. just want to know. And I think, I want to say it was Boeing, and part of what we talked about in those meetings was uh, the airline industry has the same thing. Mm -hmm. When pilots have a problem, if they report it within such a process, then it's like, good job. You're learning. Thank you. You're educating us. You're educating yourself. We can take actions to help you become better, not, not, repercussions, not reprimands, but like, hey, well, let's do this. Let's help you with this. You don't have to do it, but we're going to offer it. And, of course, now we know as a sport what we need to do before the fatalities start happening. And
2: and I don't want to take away from the fact that what we're talking about right here is very, um, is very uh, drop zone business related, is very USPA relationship with drop zone related. But let's not forget the fact that there's opportunities for each group of jumper out there to be critical of themselves. So we talked about near misses, right? I yeah. literally heard today at the drop zone one thing a, a statement that I hate hearing. I hate hearing it and that is, "Wow, that skydive went to shit, but nobody got hurt, so we learned and let's can let's move on." And it's like, "What did you learn? You didn't What did you learn? You just said that there was that the skydive went to shit and I'm watching this video that is terrible and you're literally saying because nobody got got hurt, you're not going to discuss what it was that you should have done differently or what you could have done better. You're just going to write it off as nobody got hurt, so let's move on. If somebody had gotten hurt, then we would be investigating it, and we'd be saying, what did you do wrong? This is your opportunity without anyone getting hurt or killed to be critical of yourself and and make that just like, what did we do? This was a really bad skydive, and I felt very uncomfortable. What did we do that caused it to be that way? It's almost like a near miss at that point in time. And when you just buzz it, like just pass it off as being like, yep, yeah, well, no one got hurt, so live and learn. Who's on the next load?
0: You pass within two feet of killing each other.
2: You literally, or literally I just watched you on video almost kill each other. And you're just going to go, nobody got hurt, and now it's time to move on. Who wants to go on this uh, 15-way angle jump? Let's do it. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell is going on around me? But I did. I literally just heard that today. I hear it all the time on the packing room floor. Oh my god, that was super scary. Well, who
0: wants to get on the next load? I love the thing that you said is self-regulate, or not self-re- self-regulate, but self-evaluate. And you and I almost can a campy collision. One hundred percent, obviously, completely your fault. You even take blame to say it's one hundred percent my fault, and this is how I did it. My take should still be, what could what I have done different? to prevent yeah, it? For what sure. can I? Self critique. Don't even, no matter whose fault it is, it's also your fault. No matter how much you did right, what could I do better? What could I learn more? Maybe it's a thousand feet sooner I could have made that decision. Yeah, for sure. Man, and no matter what, number one, I'm going to learn from it. And number two, even if it's your fault getting angry at you, I'm never going to learn from that. Yeah. Never going to learn being angry at you. I've been angry at you for years now. It hasn't helped at all. That self evaluation, self critique is so important. Yeah, for sure.
2: And I think um, as a manager, we deal with this these types of situations all the time. You know, When I have uh, one particular person that takes tracking groups or angle groups out and they consistently land off, I find myself going, what are you doing wrong that you can't plan these jumps where everyone on your group can make it back to the drop zone safely? Mm-hmm. They're not even self-evaluating that. Why is that? Because they land off, we pick them up, we bring them back, they get on under the load and they keep going. And if I, as a manager, bring up the fact that, hey, I'm getting kind of tired of you guys landing off, and their answer is, well, that's just what happens when we wingsuit, or that's just what happens when we do angle jumps, or that's just what happens, uh, I find myself going, you're never going to be able to, to better yourself and not be in a position where you're putting yourself at risk if you're not willing to look at yourself critically and say, what should I have done differently on that last jump? There should be no jump that I go on where I shouldn't be able to plan a jump that gets me back to the drop zone unless... When conditions change all of a sudden, there are very, very tiny things that could change that are beyond your control. But if you can control to the best of your abilities everything that you have under your control, nine times out of 10, you shouldn't be having a problem. You should be able to get back to the drop zone safely. Well, how many times do we force people to evaluate after they've land off what what they should have done differently to make it back? We don't. We pick them up. We bring them back. You okay? You okay? Yep, nobody got hurt. All right, cool. Get on the next load. And away they go.
0: Landing, man, uh, landing off is, is so much more dangerous than most people realize. Ben, Ben's going for more beer. I just need another beer. need another beer. Uh, th- one of the biggest things that I don't think people think about, though, is not the danger of your own uh, body, not the danger of yourself, the danger of the relationship of the skydiving community and your local community. Ben, there's bottle opener over here somewhere. Um, sweet. He just had a Cypress save. I have also a Cypress. I have a bunch of Cypress bottle openers laying around somehow. Um, th- you're risking the relationship of the drop zone. And, and when I say the drop zone, I don't mean the people who own the drop zone. I don't mean skydive wherever you're at. I mean the people who skydive there and the public relationship. Because so often, people get so angry at us, the community, and they get outraged. In Indiana, a farmer was so pissed at skydivers for landing in his field and being up his crops and being such a nuisance with their loud playing that he convinced his senator buddy to push a bill through Congress or through Indiana that was going to make Indiana skydiving instructors licensed by the Department of Transportation in the state of Indiana. Oh, God. <laughs> because you guys acted like assholes and landed off on his property. Yeah. Man, that but by landing off, that's a risk you're taking. A, a, a farmer ran some dude over and killed him in Texas in 2005. I remember right now, there's other extenuating circumstances, that story, but still, man, drop zones are getting shut down. The, in Colorado, drop zones are fighting day in and day out in court for people to, to, to keep open because we don't have a good relationship with our local community. Landing off isn't just about your safety. It's about the relationship of the drop zone. Well, and uh,
2: as far as the drop zone is concerned too, it is about efficiency. Yeah. If uh, we're constantly having to send, have to send people out to pick you up, a we're sending people out to make sure you're okay. B we're sending people out to pick you up. How efficient are we going to be? We could have gotten three or four more loads in at the end of the day. We could have got more people in there safely, uh, and we're we're spending time losing relationships with our neighbors, and we're losing opportunity to get more aircraft in the air and get more people in the air at the end of the day because you can't plan a jump that gets you back to the drop zone yeah. or because you just had to chase that puffy. Like, come on, guys. This isn't uh, difficult
0: stuff. Man, a long walk uh, is better than a short ambulance ride. Land off if you have to land off. For sure. But, man, when's the la- how, how many times have you landed off in the last 10 years?
2: I, I don't even know. I probably couldn't even count it on one hand.
0: Nick, how many times you land off in the last ten years?
2: I bet I've landed off ten times in ten years. Yeah. Yeah, once, Man, a, year. once a year. And how many
0: times yeah. you do a year? A
2: thousand. Yeah, close to a
0: thousand. Yeah, about okay. a thousand a year. Yeah, that makes sense. I've landed off twice in the last ten years. Uh, and one of them I was on the front of a tandem, so I didn't have tons of a choice yeah. of where we were going. Um I, I have to let M- you know. Most make
1: of mine are are chasing tandem instructors who <laughs> don't pay attention to the spot. And, and, and don't thing do anything I totally to it. That that's almost all of them.
0: My God, um, I'm so sorry. I'm, la- I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing it's at c- them. It's crazy how
1: hard <laughs> how hard it is for some instructors to just look down and freefall. It's insane. Like, I mean, I'm usually pretty aware if I'm going to be long because I look when I climb out. Yeah. And I will always be the person that gives a, a long single to, to an instructor yep. in free fall. And to me, this is always just a question. If you see this L in my hand, I'm asking you, Hey, are we long right now? Can you look down? And I expect you to look down and say, No, we're okay, or yeah, we're long. And if you tell me, yeah, we're long, then you should probably help me out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And if we're not long enough that you need to pull high, then at least pull on time. Like don't let your Don't stick around. Yeah, don't let your student stick so, around with the handle and so pull does, it
2: five grand and then I don't make it back. So how does this equate to say uh, uh, we've got a we've got a few group of of uh, trackers and and uh, angle flyers in Dallas that either land off or barely make it back to the drop zone and end up having to fly a crappy pattern in order to land where they want to land. And I tell them this all the time like that's a very good example like you have a tandem instructor that looks down and says oh, this is a long spot. You would expect that the first thing in their mind is, you know what maybe I should pull a little higher this time because I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it back to the drop zone if I pull. The, at the normal out alt, the altitude that I'm planning on pulling at, when you plan any type of jump, that should be a factor in your decisions as far as things like when are we going to break off and when are we going to pull, who's on this who's on this load, what size parachutes do they have, you know, what kind of wing loading? These are a lot of decisions that a, you as an organizer need to need to have in your uh, in your brain when you're planning these jumps because, you know, hey, I know the spot's going to be weird. Maybe this jump, we don't take it down to four grand and then break off. Maybe this jump, we need to break off at 5,500 feet. Maybe this jump, we need to pull a little bit higher. I'm getting people that they don't even have those discussions. They break off at the same altitude every time. They pull at the same altitude every time, regardless of the situation that's going on around them. And now you have a eight-way belly group that's pulled so low, they're not going to make it back to the drop zone, but they had a fantastic spot, and they still don't make it back. And so that's that's a very prime example of, You should be able to plan your skydive to make the right decision. To What altitude are we going to pull out to make it back? Not to say you're going to make it back every time. Maybe the conditions have changed. But don't give me this. You've landed off 10 times out of your last 20 jumps. Like There's obviously a problem here, and it's not our spot.
0: I regularly hear new jumpers say, I pull this high. Why do you pull this high? Because everybody else does. You don't have the same spot as everybody else. You don't have the same experience. Um, I don't pull the same altitude every jump. That's what you're saying. It is, yeah. Now, for part of depends it. It
2: depends on what I'm jumping. Uh, when I'm jumping my full RDS, 67, on a tracking jump or an angle jump, I'm going to break off and pull higher than everybody else. Yeah. i am going to have time to deal with the situation above my head if there's a problem. And I'm not going to have as much time as everybody else. Plus, i got to make it back to the drop zone. But that's a decision I make based on the type of equipment that I'm jumping at the time. Uh, I think that everybody should be able to do that. What What's my wing loading? What's the canopy am I on? What are the winds doing today? Am I going to be able to make it back? Maybe I need to pull higher. Maybe I need to break off. And you just don't get that anymore. You don't really get people that are even considering that in their, in their decision making. It's just like, we always pull at four.
0: Okay, well, we, well, that's why I keep landing off. By the way, kudos to people who are always pulling at four. Yeah. Um, at least you're not always pulling at two-five.
2: Well, what I meant by that is <laughs> that typically they're pulling a two-five.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the things to think about too is those new jumpers, I- and really even experienced jumpers, because I watch guys with five hundred jumps who forget about the thought process. I'll watch somebody pull low. You pulled low. I did not. You pulled a three grand. No, I pulled a three-five. Bro, I believe you. Believe you pulled a three-five. Yeah, I did. And here's how you know you pulled a three-five. How? You look at your altimeter, you saw 3-5, yeah, and then you waved, and then you reach back, pulled, and then you And then pulled. you
2: sniveled, and
0: then you, yeah, now yeah. you're 2,000 feet. So two seconds after you saw 3-5, you threw the handle out. You pulled at 3, oh, and then, you yeah. know, we, I say it nicely. They're like, okay, cool, Like you got to plan ahead. In canopy courses, I tell them, pull five seconds out the door. That means you're waving at 3, pulling at 5. One of the reasons, uh, one of the things you make sure you think about when you're pulling is how high are you pulling, not how high are you waving. Yeah, for sure. Break off. Are you breaking off high enough to track, stop, wave, throw, pull? Mm-hmm. Um, I firmly believe you, Nick, and I can go do a belly three way and break off in five seconds and get separation for sure. and pull altitude because we can track much more efficiently. Uh, the average jumper with 100 to 500 jumps probably will track half the distance of what yeah. we can. Um, I say the average. Dalton Swan, when he was a new jumper, probably outtracked all like, of us. What, 6'3 and weighs like 100 pounds? I, I don't think he weighed that much, man. Yeah. man. He doesn't actually pull his parachute. He just floats to the ground. Dude, I remember he was in a uh, – we were in a Skyvan one day. I was doing an evaluation jump, and he was like in a six or an eight way ahead of me as a young jumper. And in the middle, I forget what, who organizer wh- who the organizer was, but in the middle of, of prepping everybody, this guy just got real loud and barked straight at Dalton, like, duh, 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 like, I mean, put him in his place, made sure Dalton knew where he was going. Like, he gave him the most instruction and the most order. And when they landed, I walked up to Dalton. I said, you were in your slot, weren't you? He goes, yeah. I said, were you first here? He goes, no, I was third. He was, like, one of the last divers. Yeah. The kid was just a badass, man. It was so funny because all the people who needed a speech, it was not that kid. (laughs) Well, well, it happens. Yeah. I I love watching somebody who naturally gets it, and that kid definitely naturally got Mm it. He was really, really decent. Kind of like Tenry. Tenry. Mr. (laughs) Tenry. Mr. Tenry. What are you doing in town anyways? Me? Yeah.
2: Just fucking, I can't come hang out with my bros? No, you can, but man,
0: you never like actually do that, so what the fuck are you doing so, in So uh,
2: we're jumping, well, we're supposed to, if the weather cooperates, we're supposed to jump into IndyCar at the uh, Circuit of America in Austin on Sunday. Uh, 150,000 people, I guess, so that's like a mm-hmm. don't fuck it up situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so since we're doing that... Uh, we also have a bunch of friends coming into town, Our all our Cali peeps, Donna Jean, Jones, and all those guys coming in. Okay. And they're going to be flying this weekend, so I figured I'd come down, fly with them tomorrow, fly a little bit on Saturday, go out, do some practice jumps Saturday at San Marcos, hang out with Thomas Hughes and the gang, and then we're supposed to jump into IndyCar. We'll see what happens.
0: Who's ju- who's jumping into that? You, uh, Thomas?
2: Myself, Thomas. Um, who else? Uh, I'll
1: shoot. go. It's fine. It's fine. You can't remember. I'll, I'll be. I'll be there.
0: Oh, are you gonna be there? Is Vic joining you guys? Mm, uh, I think so. Yeah, I would make. I I would. I won't put it past. And saying. then,
2: oh God, what's his name? Uh, I love this guy. DC. Oh Dom? no, Brian. Jesus, Kyle? is it Jesus? Jesus is jumping with us for <laughs> sure. Yeah, Jesus is jumping with us. I can't. remember I cannot for the him. love of me. Does he work there?
1: How, Whoever it is, I'm sure is watching the it, podcast it, live
2: right now, screaming. He's so their awesome. Own he's name. like he's a, he's, a, he's an older guy. Uh, uh, George Nissen.
0: Oh, George. George.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and then um also Oh, um, he's the Mustachioed man. Yes, dude, the who, mustachioed who flies be. a VK. Who flies That's a VK. A I love, man.
0: Dude, when uh George that guy's got guys big
2: pimping, uh, man. I love that guy.
0: Dude, when George got that VK, a uh a buddy of ours who was very safety oriented, got my attention right away and I mean was up uh, up tight and wound up, up about George on. It. Oh, for sure, dude. So I walked out to watch this old man land this Valkyrie and I'm like, Wow, that was pretty good. Yeah, he did. Pretty good. <laughs> and I watched all day because I was warned. And man, I,
2: like I I didn't understand why I liked him so much until I sat down and had a conversation and realized that he grew up in Alaska, too. He's from Alaska as well.
0: Well, I liked him until I knew he was like you. Yeah, exactly. And I don't like him anymore. He's yeah. uh, Super nice dude.
2: Yeah, he's an awesome guy. And he's going to, I think, mm-hmm. he's going to jump some streamer action for us. And then who else do we have? Um, I think that's... uh, I can't remember.
0: Eh, Whatever, man. Cool. I'm
2: I'm there. That's all that matters? Yeah, you're there. Me and and Thomas. All I know is you you hit me up
0: and said, can you sleep on our couch? BFFs forever.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to share that Chelsea Peterson said that you look like a ladyboy, and I think that shit's funny. If Will. you insult Ben Nelson in the comments, chances are I'm going to read it. At okay. least I'm going to read enough. it to him afterwards. Fair so
2: uh, bring
0: it. No, read it. Read it out loud. I'm is totally it my that. is
2: it my magnificent beard that makes me look like a lady boy, or is it my beautiful breasts? I think it's your feminine figure overall, my lady hips. Yeah,
0: yeah, fair enough. As it's we transition, child. Is it my pretty head. mouth?
2: Possibly.
1: Mm, that thing's not looking as good as it used to. I'm gonna be honest. Well, I got a beard over it now. <laughs> Maybe I should shave it.
0: You just need to trim the upper lip higher so we can see it, <laughs> and, then, and then it becomes more enticing again.
2: Gives a new meaning to the word stiff upper lip. Ooh. Oh. No, <laughs> I just got so <laughs> quiet. Nobody said that. Yeah. Uh, wow.
0: The second half, I want to transition. Oh, and so i actually
2: and know my response to that is uh, whatever, Chelsea Peterson. You look like a dude, so. Oh, uh, sick burn. Burn. Sick burn.
0: What, what kind of expectations? We, we had Chris Fidala on, and he, he talked about what it took for him to go from skydiver to packer, or, you know, student skydiver, packer, the, the path all the way to examiner. But I really want to talk more about expectations of the business. I, I, I'm a fun jumper. Huh? I've been wanting to get in this sport. Every day you and I hear, I'm going to do this for a living. And, man, I, I get it because we do. What kind of expectations should I have working in the sport?
2: I think uh, the first expectation you should have or at least have in your mind somewhere is that the second you turn your hobby into a job, it's a job. And uh, most people I talk to at some point in their life doesn't like their job very much. And there's certain aspects about working in skydiving that, yeah, kind of suck, not the least of which is when you have a really bad winter and you're sitting around not making any money. That's going to happen. So have the understanding that uh, you're in it for the love of the sport. And uh, certainly nowadays you can make more money in the sport uh, than you did in years past. But if you're smart about it, you can you can make a living doing it. Just know that there's going to be certain times of the year where things are slow and certain times of the year where things are, are going going fast, number one. Number two would be um, I, I don't think people realize how physically fit you need to be in order to be in the sport uh, as a professional. And by that mm-hmm. I mean... Um, it's a lot of work. You're There's a joke that it's called hauling meat, right, when you're yeah. a tandem instructor, and you pretty much are. And there are days that you get stuck doing the heavies all day, and you just hauled 13 heavy people to altitude and brought them all the way down to the ground safely, and you did it in a very short amount of time. And it wreaks a lot of havoc on your bodies. So um, you better be uh, prepared for the sore shoulders and the sore backs. You better be prepared for that because that's, that's bound to happen as well. And then um, other expectations that you should be ready to deal with is, is just you're not going to get to fun jump quite as much as you think you're going to when you work in the sport. You are mm-hmm. thinking I'm going to move to the drop zone, I'm going to become an instructor, and I'm going to jump all the time, and I'm really going to. And the next thing you know, you're hauling meat, and um, <coughs> that's what you got to do to make the, to pay the bills. And I've seen a lot of instructors that burn themselves out thinking that they're going to progress in a way that they're going to, and then next thing you know they spent five, six years just throwing drugs and not progressing the way they thought they were going to progress. Um, I think that there's opportunity nowadays for you to do that if you're smart. Um, But if you're only going to end up taking every tip you earn and buying alcohol and and stuff at the end of the night and partying every night, yeah, you're not going to progress. You're not going to have the money to progress in the sport, is I guess the best way of describing it.
0: Have have goals, have direction,
2: have goals and direction for sure, the, the and be willing and be willing to sacrifice for those goals. And by that, what I mean is, when the money flows in skydiving, I've noticed that people start spending their money in things that they don't need to spend their money on. And next thing you know, we're having a hard winter, and they don't have money. And they, but I watched you buy a case of beer every night, and I watched you spend that money on stuff that you. You can, you can make it in the sport, and you can progress in a way that you want to progress. That may mean a little bit of sacrifice.
0: Uh, it's not all it's not all a party at the drop zone. It definitely, there's some hard-working days. You know, you, you think about we need to be at the drop zone at 730 in the morning. And at a lot of drop zones, tandems will start getting moving at 8, 815, 820. That's why mm-hmm. I say get moving. They're starting to get geared up, starting to get dressed. And when the sun sets at 9 o'clock at night, yeah. you're doing 12, 13-hour days just doing nonstop jumps. And then at the end of the day, you got to clean up your mess. Packers are still rolling through that dark hour.
2: And you got to go take a shower. you got to make dinner. you got to go to bed. And guess what? By the time that all happens, you're in bed by 11 and you're up the next morning at 6 o'clock to go back to work.
0: But it is the coolest fucking <laughs> job ever, man. I do like it.
2: It comes in waves, though. And, you, you know, uh, we, we certainly realize that. I understand that in the wintertime, I'm going to try and dip out as much as possible from from work, meaning I'll go in the morning, and I'll be there and make sure everything's flowing, and then I'll bounce out in the afternoon if I can, because I know that once summertime hits, once June hits, it's like what you said, man. I'll be over at the quarter to six in the morning, and I won't be done until 11 o'clock at night, and that's just the way it's going to be. And then you throw a boogie in the mix of it, and you're doing a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours in the summertime, but it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Can, and i'm not com- and i'm not complaining i understand that that's how it works out i know there's other just talking facts there's other people out there that work in the industry there's other managers out there they're going oh welcome to the club yeah i get it it's it's but we this is what we signed up for and it gets busy there's time of the years when it's busy and there's time of the years when it's slow and you take advantage of those times when you can
0: what you got nick
2: oh i just wanted to uh, commend you for uh, dallas
1: as a whole like is a beautiful, beautiful facility. Really nice trompson, <clears throat> but the the packing floor at the end of every day is yeah. so clean and so impeccably nice. Yeah. However, do you make this happen?
2: Um, it's the uh, the the guys that I hire to pack are that's that's how they've been trained. That's what they do. I think part of they it have uh, a pride. They have enough pride in their work that they that's what they want to do because they know that the next morning when they so packers are a good example of of one group that I like to yeah let them do their thing to the extent that if if they're not walking in the door at seven thirty we're not going to have any rigs on the ground for them until eight thirty anyways, so we give them a chance to sleep in, but when they do show up, they want to be able to get right back into work and if the place is clean, then they can walk right in, sleep in a little bit, and then come in in the morning and start really really laying it down but they're they're there,
1: but in their defense, yeah maybe they're going to show up that hour later. But they're gonna be an hour later before they get out of there for sure. They're, oh, they're, they're sticking they're
2: sticking around an hour hour later but, but at the end of the day but man, it balances ev- out.
1: Every morning I've ever walked into that that hangar, yeah. the uh the beautiful pristine uh yeah. vacuum lines on the floor, not a single rig laying mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Man, it's, it's man. we
2: we also have a fantastic uh uh Jose's. Janitorial staff in the Jose's, uh, Jose Senior and Jose Junior that do it that do a fantastic job. But they're not there all the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. they get days off as well, and uh, yeah. and my, my packers do clean up their areas. To the, but they do an excellent
0: job of cleaning up. Man, I'm going to throw a lot of love towards the Schlichtemeier's, who the former owners of Skydive Dallas, for one oh second, because yeah. Carol Schlichtemeier was very big on things being nice and being clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the extent no food in your locker, she would walk up and find food in your locker and just throw it out for you, Yeah, um, which she kept a very clean drop zone, and she, she insisted and it was mandated that things stayed as clean as they did. And the packing staff back at Skydive Dallas kept it that way. Yep. And our initial packing staff at Skydive SpaceLand Dallas was that old staff. Yeah. And it's
2: definitely. It's just. Yeah, it's definitely a trend that has stayed because yeah. of the way they've been taught. For so sure.
0: the first thing is mad respect to Carol uh, and, and Doc Lee for what they instilled, there, said and done. That Skydive SpaceLand Dallas wouldn't be there and wouldn't be the way it is without them. But the big thing, man, is the community. Fuck all the owners. Fuck all the managers. Fuck everything. Yeah. The fuck case, the manager. Yeah, fuck oh the man. Manager, man. Somebody <laughs> please fuck the manager. Yeah. <laughs> he needs <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: Wait, ben, are you single? <laughs> <laughs> ladies. Uh, would I be ready to mingle? Is that what you're saying? Wait. How many world records do you have?
2: At least one. At I, least
1: bet, one. I bet. I bet you give really good coaching to like. Uh, God. <laughs> no. Don't. <laughs> date let's us go back. David. Let's
2: go back to what we we're. We talking
1: all about. know it's bad news to date a skydiver. Let's it's true. be honest. Very true. Yeah, man. But hey, ladies.
2: Ben's looking real good. Uh, he is single. so But, but you're right. Um. He's a good kisser, too, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I thought I didn't have a pretty mouth anymore. I mean,
1: it's not pretty, but it feels good. That's true. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> totally <laughs> unnecessary and inappropriate. I'm sorry. I'm great, I dude. think we I'm were at fine. Fuck the Manager, right? Yeah, is that's that we're true. Yeah, fuck someone, please. someone, please. The people make the I'm community. That is
0: yeah, actually sir. where we were at, <laughs> that's man. That's where we were. And... and when I first moved to Spaceland, there were a few things I would like to have seen changed. And I was not going to suggest a rule change as much as I was going to suggest, let's just try to grow the sport and community to be better. Yeah, a, a lot of you who listen to this are skydiving instructors. A lot of you who listen to this are leaders in your own community. And, and some of you are new. And all of you will affect this change. Once upon a time, the newest guy on this drop zone was me. When I say, when I say newest, the newest guy on this drop zone, the staff of Spaceland, was me. And at some point I was able to help affect change. Mm-hmm. At some point, Chris nice. Fudalo was a student and he's an examiner helping train people now. Yeah, I remember when he was a student. Yeah, and he and he's helped affect change. At some point
2: He's still m- goofy, by the way, just so everybody Oh, was. goofy
0: as fuck, dude. He still needs a lot of help. He's working, he's growing, he's growing a lot, man. He's working hard. I'm really proud of my friend. Nick, I mean, you know, he had so few jumps. We we've all worked How many our jumps wheel. did you have when you came here, Mr. Nick? I think I had just about two thousand. Uh, yeah? Yes. Yeah. I knew that I was Not gonna bad. say 2,000. Yeah,
1: it's right around there. I I've I either did my my, my 2,000th right before I came here, or it may have been uh, yeah, right around there. I don't know. May have been after I was here. How I many? How
2: many you have now? Uh, eight thousand. And you've been here since 2012. Okay, you're catching back up to me, man. I've had a slow you, year. You passed me up, man. I did, but uh, you're gonna pass me up here soon.
0: When Good. did you start jumping?
2: Uh, I had jumps back in the 90s, but I don't really count anything until I got into sp- the spaceland here, which okay. was 2011. Jake. Jake. Yes. Yep, that piece of shit. Yep. Jake from State Farm. God, I hate that name.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. That's your name.
2: Uh, <laughs> you are Jake. <laughs> Jacob is my name. Oh, I hate him. I hate that guy. I don't remember hate that seeing name. your stupid Chevron name tag. I know. I hated it. I hated Chevron too, by the way. And, the uh, and our great friend
0: Matthew calling you Jacob. I do love Matthew, though. I met him as Jacob as well. I knew him as Jake and I is your name Ben or is your name Jake? Because I'm hearing people call you Ben and I've been calling you Jake for oh, a while. Oh yeah, now. and people thought
1: you were an undercover cop. <laughs> yeah, they, they did for a long time. <laughs> oh I totally forgot Matt, about this.
2: Matt Peterson had people convinced that I was a cop. And you know what? I'm still not sure that you aren't. That's a good point. I well, you cop, think I've been in cock. Dallas this last time. I've been undercover, so uh, yeah, I know it. Yep. Been playing a pimp. I can smell it with my staple of whores. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. So expectations. Don't know why you're single.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Expectation. Of I didn't
2: mean whores. I meant sluts. Oh yeah, I love those. Those are great. Best thing yes, the world uh, ever know. Yeah. Matt Peterson thought I was uh, convinced a lot of people. I don't think he thought I was. I th- he just convinced a lot of people I was an uh, undercover cop.
0: I love Matthew, man. It's a.
2: And it- now we have Josh Gerard around, who is actually a cop. Yeah. No one cares. And nobody cares. Yep. Dude,
0: I actually uh, in Indiana used to jump oh, by the, under- the way we love you Josh undercover narcotics officer Yeah, uh, dude, super sketchy gangster looking motherfucker dude just a goatee just the chin hair super long ponytailed out tatted bald and at some point I found out yeah I'm an undercover narcotics officer I'm like dude you see people smoke weed every day at the job I was like well first of all I have to fit in, so it's nothing that I'm not around. It's nothing I deal with. And I'm actually allowed to do certain things to fit in. But uh, you're not the guys we're looking for. I'm an (laughs) undercover (laughs) narcotics officer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it was super interesting. Super nice dude. He's actually now the uh, sheriff of the county where we used to jump. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, follow that guy around for a while. Um, Money is one of the things you mentioned. And one of the things that that I'll tell new instructors all the time, new staff all the time, it doesn't matter where you live. In Indiana, it, it did matter because I skydived eight months a year and four months a year, I partied. Um, one of my <laughs> best friends at the time, uh, and I say at the time, still one of my best friends, a kid named Billy, uh, used to say, I want to party with Charlie Sheen. That's a good time right there. And we tried. We, we didn't ever party with Charlie Sheen, but we thought we were having Drinking him at some the part. tiger's blood? Oh, man. Uh, Banging prostitutes. He
2: went went down some bad roads. I mean, sorry, not prostitutes, but uh, porn stars. They're different, right?
0: But we had to save (laughs) for four months of being off. I mean, guessing. (laughs) We had to save for four months of being off. Work eight months, have four months of money to live off of. Yeah. I moved to Texas because I was sick of living that lifestyle. I needed to not be bored on the winter. I needed to work in the winter to not do stupid shit. Mm -hmm. And so I came down here, but I lived the same way. I was like, man, I'm going to in the first eight or in these eight months, I'm gonna make enough money that I can live through the winter and make no money at all. And any money I make is bonus money. Yeah. But I'm gonna put that bonus money away too. If that's any advice I can give any any of you guys, don't blow your money as soon as you make it, because in the winter it's gonna get bad, or the off season, it's too hot where you jump. It's too windy this time of year. What every drop zone has a season where it's an issue. And if you don't believe that happens at your drop zone, stick around for two years, and you'll eventually find it's true. Yeah, for sure. You know, some years that season doesn't happen. We've had beautiful winters here where it it was beautiful all winter long. Yeah. We've had, you know, 12 months of great jumping straight. It just doesn't happen often here in Houston. So uh, you just have to be smart.
2: You know, the thing about uh, skydiving is you're not – it's never – you're never guaranteed, Mm -hmm. right? If you're going to plan that you're going to make the same amount of money this year as you did last year – then that's a terrible plan because we don't know what the weather's going to do this year. I think what it comes down to is just be smart, man. Take uh, like a, a good example is I don't do as many tandems as my uh, tandem staff does because I'm only jumping in to help out and keep things rolling. But there was a time at the end of last summer where we were really, really busy, and in a three-month period, I probably did a third the number of jumps that uh, like work jumps that my staff did, and I made a thousand dollars in tips, uh, just in tips alone. And that so that's you know. There's a good uh, There's odds are at the end of the year, the tips that you make being a TAN instructor are probably going to be in the in the area of four to seven thousand dollars. That's a significant amount of money. What are you going to do when that tip comes in at the end of the day? Are you going to not beati- split it with a videographer? Uh, uh, are, are, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> after you after the tip comes in and you split it with your videographer because they did yeah. half the work. Yeah, sure. They do. Um, sure. That's what you guys do. What what do you do with that money? They you do you take it and immediately go and buy a case of beer and blow it on something, or do you put it some put it away somewhere and save it? Or what what is it? What is it that you're doing? Because uh, there's opportunity. There's definitely opportunity for you to find ways of saving cash. And I just don't. You know, people don't do it. People don't do it. We're super busy, and all of a sudden, the the beer is flowing like wine, and the women are flocking like the salmon to Capistrano. <laughs> <laughs> So there's And then and then the wintertime rolls around and everybody's scratching their heads going, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna make it. I I don't know what's gonna happen. It's like, Well, I watched you blow your money on some pretty stupid
0: stuff. You know they make they, they had this really cool invention recently. It's called a bank and they P- have these Piggy things bank. called saving accounts. Yeah, Piggy bank. Dude, I put money in a savings account and I never see it and I forget I have it. And then one day I have a lot of money. Yeah. It really works, man. it really does. And, and I say that kind of jokingly, but at the same time, I, I mean it. Put your money away. Well, here's
2: it. here's what I'll, here's the advice I give to, uh, especially some of my younger instructors, like, if there's an opportunity for, so skydivers aren't known necessarily for saving for retirement, right? Yeah. They, they, they don't, if you're going to be a 30-year a instructor, when you decide to retire as an instructor, if you don't start saving something, you're not going to have anything when it comes time for you to retire. Uh, and I know this is a big hot topic and people are going to say, oh, social security will help. It's probably not going to be enough by the time you get there if you make it that long anyways. Um, but, you know, $2,000 into an IRA, $2,000 into a Roth IRA as an example. Uh, if you can make four to $7,000 a year just in tips during the busy season, could you take 2000 of that aside and put it away every year and, st- and be disciplined about it especially if you're a young tandem instructor man if you're in your early 20s and you start putting two thousand dollars away every year into an ira like that by the time you get to the point where you're ready to retire you're going to have something and instead you're going to blow it on beer or you're going to blow it on whatever the hell else you're going to blow it on yeah beer gets me drunk now beer gets
1: you drunk. (laughs) who wants a secure future when
2: you can be drunk today it does. It's certainly You can get
0: drunk now, and you can get drunk later. That's what he's trying to teach That's you to true. do. That's true. Man, th- this readiness and this preparedness, something that people don't think about always, is also their gear. And a great example yeah. is, is, man, Nick, how often have you had a video camera break while you're working? Gosh,
1: it happens once or twice a year that I replace either a video camera or a still camera.
0: Or a bite switch or a blow switch yeah. or yeah, a or mount. Or a line or set. Yeah, or gotta, the swamp you gotta, beats
1: your parachute.
2: You got to well, yeah. be ready for that uh, expense. Yeah, if you have a cutaway at any point. I've got instructors right now that if they had a cutaway and didn't recover the canopy, they they're not they they're not working because they don't have another parachute. Yeah.
0: It's reasonable to say that you might go through $500 in line sets a year. You easily. You, you you very easily could. Very easily, yeah. It, it really depends on what you're jumping is is a newer jumper probably going to be closer to the $300 mark. But when you start jumping a lot, you start jumping some of these more high-performance canopies. Some of the lines get replaced a little bit more often. It's going to get to that that mark. That
2: or uh, let's be honest, God forbid, there's the, you have a major incident, right? I mean, a lot of these guys are one bad swoop away from being out for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's we we've, we've definitely seen cases where y- if you get hurt, you're you're kind of screwed. You're kind of screwed. Not to uh, Even if it's an injury that you're going to recover from, you're kind of fucked. You're, you're kind of fucked.
0: You don't make any money?
2: You're not going to be making money in the six months you're not able to jump after you break your back doing that sick swoop that you missed. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's like, be smart, make good decisions. Still, stuff's going to bite you. you got to be ready.
0: And, may, and be smart. Slow down a little bit, man. You know, I, as a young instructor, I get ahead of myself. I get excited. And... At some point, I compressed my back just a little bit, and, and today I'm still suffering from it. Uh, I, I haven't been around the last few days because I, some of P, some of my friends know it, but I, su- I suffer from a lot more back issues than I'll ever usually admit to. Uh, some days walking is a lot more painful for me than others. In the last couple of days, oh Nick, by the way, man, fucking cryo, man, fucking cryo.
2: Yeah, you think, dude. What are we talking about? Cryotherapy. You know what it is. Is that yeah. when you die, and then they freeze you, and then they <laughs> yes. bring you back to <laughs> yeah, life? but it only, on it only works if you're bitch. in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got, like, some weird cancer that no one's heard of, so they freeze your body, and then you wake up in the distant future. Yeah, Walt Disney did that, isn't that? Yeah. The, Mr. Burns also did it in The Simpsons. Yeah, I think so.
0: So, placebo effect or not, I don't know.
1: Do you, do you know what cryotherapy is, Ben? I don't know. You get into it. this little tube, they fill it with liquid nitrogen, and it gets super cold, Basically and then lo- they take all your
2: money and then they and then they yeah. freeze your money right out of your pockets. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean I I'm I'm assuming that there's medicinal Yeah, so they to this say. Yeah. totally
0: and I have no true evidence of this. <laughs> like as, as far as the science, I don't know if there's a real science of it. I've heard people talk about it. Uh, they're basically lowering your skin temperature by 30 degrees as a goal. So three minutes is how long you're in this tube for.
2: So they're just basically making you go hypothermic. Oh, Got dude, it. fucking cold as shit. This is everything that, <laughs> yeah. as a medical provider in the state of Alaska, I learned to try and prevent. Yes. Like, no, no, we don't want your temperature to drop one degree. <laughs> Let's drop it 30 <laughs> degrees. Oh, and you're gonna pay us for this.
0: Not your core, just your surface temperature. <laughs> now, remind you or remind de- you, you're in gloves. Socks and a slipper covering your junk. Yeah, you go in and, in and grab there. your. Dick. So
2: wait, why don't you just? They actually
1: tell you this in the instructions that you're going to cup wh- your dick and balls with <laughs> your gloved hands.
2: Why don't you guys just go to Alaska in February? Jesus Christ, get your shit together. I, you could go spend a week in cryotherapy. No, we, we used to do this. Like, no, we, we would do spend this a the... week watching the dog mushing races and uh, cryotherapy or something. No,
1: in Utah we would go. Like, if we were going to have a hard workout out of the gym, we would go and sit in the in the stream <laughs> in Emigration Canyon. Oh. Shit. and just freeze for 10 minutes and it, it works if you have if you had a really hard workout it does help to stop the inflammation
2: yeah and, 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 help and you know there's soreness. there's uh, you go to places like the midwest so minnesota wisconsin iowa alaska you'll find these places that uh that do the you sit in the sauna until you can barely take it anymore and then you go jump in the frozen water and they're like oh yeah that's really good for yeah, you
1: i mean they say that there are these heat shock Proteins and cold shock proteins the stuff your body really thinks that you're dying and produces these, uh yeah, these sure. defense responses that are really beneficial when you end up not dying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh,
1: I still—I do, just don't know if I believe in cryotherapy because I, I can go to the well, gas I mean, station. there's certain
2: there's certain medical aspects. So, for instance, uh, if you uh, uh, when you're talking about f- uh, cold water, for instance, mm-hmm. one of the one of the tricks that you can use for somebody that is having some sort of tachycardia this is my old old medical training, is to stimulate what's called the vagal nerve. Uh, in your It's a nerve that's in your body. And by stimulating, there's a couple ways to do it. Prostate? But number one is you can <laughs> dip someone's head in ice-cold water, which stimulates the vagal nerve. Oh, is this... Blood, is blood, blood pressure decreases. Mammalian diving heart, response? Heart rate goes down. Yeah, correct. Okay. Uh, and so there's various tricks that you can use to help uh, the physical response become applicable based on... Whatever you're causing them to do physically. So another way of doing it is take a syringe, uh, take the needle off the syringe, and, and and put the stop all the way in, and tell someone to try and blow. And the act of blowing causes it to stimulate the vagal nerve, and now your heart rate decreases and things like that. So I mean, uh, cold cold therapy can do things like that physically. I would imagine uh, and it's I not just about swelling. I, I guess I I do believe that there
1: is a benefit to the like the cold immersion stuff. I do think that that's true. Yeah. But I can go to the gas station and spend ten dollars on two bags of ice. Go fill up my bathtub with cold water and ice, and it is way colder than this cryotherapy yeah. shit. Yeah. Like cryotherapy, it's three minutes. It's it's maybe twenty five percent as cold as doing. And wait, how much are they bath? charging you? What What is it per session?
0: It uh, depends where you go and what you do. 20 A Twenty to fifty. Fifty bucks is ridiculous. What? Yeah, fifty dollars to make yeah. me make me cold yeah. for three minutes. So I, I don't pay that much. I pay twenty dollars. Um, dude, I, I went. Once or twice, didn't know what I thought of it. Just to check it out, we had uh, some passes to go check it out for free. Like it's lo- like you're sitting in like an iron lung, only it's cold. You're just in a tube up to your neck. And by the way, I don't know when neck you say uh, sit in a tub. I know for sure can get cold. No, it, I'm getting cold as fucking those three minutes. Um, I mean, I've done both. I'll, if yeah. you want to do an ice bath, and we'll talk about it. But I'll you're also saying you're also
2: saying core temperature versus. Uh, out surface of, uh, temperature. surface temperature. Surface. I would imagine if you're going to sit in a, a bathtub of ice, we're talking about your core temperature decreasing. Not it's going to drop more. Sure, yeah, no, your for core sure. temperature yeah. is going to drop quite a bit. Yeah. So, I, and
1: I don't know if the science is in on where where the benefit lies with that. Yeah. And and there's still a lot of debate between you know if if you're having this conversation with someone who's uh, you know a, a trainer of elite athletes or sure. someone with you know exercise physiology background, there, there's still debate in that community of how long after exercise should you wait. Because inflammation is a response to, to the that you're stressing the body, sure. right? But yeah. that's a necessary response because that's just how you start to repair your body. And so that there's there's argument over oh well if you do it too soon, now you're your going to inhibit repairing. your body's yeah. ability to repair itself. And if you wait too long, then I don't fucking know what. But there's I don't know that the science is fully in on, on either side. Yeah.
0: But you All you I know went is you're
2: paying fifty bucks to sit in a
1: really cold tube. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I would know Yeah, that version of it is ridiculous. Do
1: you get to watch Netflix?
0: Um
2: Netflix and Chill.
0: No, they actually <laughs> offer you to listen to music. <laughs> I just sit there and just chill. <laughs>
1: See the one the one time I did try this out once. They, and I did went, they make uh, you listen
2: to the soundtrack of Frozen while you're No, but I did let it go. Did you let it go?
1: Hey, did you know that karaoke night's coming up? I did. That shit's gonna be real good. Are uh, you April, coming? April, April, right? April thirteenth.
2: I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try my hardest. Don't
1: fucking give me that shit. Are you gonna be there?
2: I'm gonna try my hardest. Make it's me a, weekend. a promise. Make me a pinky promise right now. I can't pinky promise because if the weather's good and we have, hey, we had a hundred tandems last Saturday. Boom. Well, we did a hundred and however many you did. We did at least one more. You're lying. I know how many you did. How many we do? It wasn't a hundred.
1: Yeah, you don't know that shit for sure.
2: Yeah, I do. I talked to uh,
1: Steven. <laughs> Nuh-uh. he lied to you to make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What were we talking about before Frozen? Anyways, uh cryotherapy. Cryotherapy. Yeah, but I had a point to make, and now you robbed me of it.
2: (laughs) Um, Whether you, uh, if you uh, uh, treat the inflammation before it has a chance to actually heal your body, was after that. I don't
1: remember. I'll ask. tell
0: you more, but I've been doing oh. sessions here and there when I have back inflammation oh, issues. Oh, yeah, I meant to ask. Like
1: we're You were just sore, not related to exercise, right? Related more to injury?
0: Yeah, really. I have a, I have a very bad back issue. I have a sciatic, sciatic nerve issue. There's days I can't put any weight on that foot. Uh, You're like
2: me, like one sneeze away from
0: throwing your back out and yeah, shooting uh, your 100%, pants. 100%, man. <laughs> uh, just <laughs> moving. Yeah, needs to, to sneeze for that. that. Saturday around <laughs> the drop zone at some point, somebody said, Wap, what's wrong with you? It, out of nowhere, my back will freeze up. Um, so a lot of pain this week, really bad, and I've gone to cryo the first three days, and actually it got way better. Skipped the last two days, it's gotten bad again. I've oh, actually used it for recovery from injury uh, of other things I've been doing, and every time I've used it, I've recovered quicker. Hmm. Coincidence or not is a whole other question. Like, well, is God it knows at coinc- your age
2: you're not recovering super fast these days, right? A,
0: a is it a coincidence? B, is it a... Uh, uh, Placebo. Placebo. Yeah, right. So it could... Or see, is it really something to it? Well, at this point, I got a bunch of, of uh, saved ones. I got gift certificates and stuff for it. So I just... Until those run out, I'm going to keep trying it. And when they run out, I'll decide if I uh, work it or not. But man, it's made a huge difference this time to how much I can walk around the house right now. Huh, so Interesting. Super nice. Did
2: I ever tell you my story about placebo?
0: I don't know if placebo I want to hear effect?
2: this. So uh, <laughs> when, uh, back when I worked in medicine... We would frequently deal with uh, what we would call frequent flyers. These are people that you're picking up on a regular basis, and there are quite a few of them that are um, addicts to some extent. You're you're talking
1: about bush planes in Alaska, right?
2: uh, It could be either a ground ambulance in a major city like Anchorage or uh, Girdwood or Juneau or whatever, or it could be you're picking up people frequently out in the middle of nowhere in a helicopter or whatever. But whatever the case, you might be picking up somebody that is an addict, someone that's uh, addicted to certain kinds of medication. And they're looking for you to give them whatever it is that they want. And so there's a lot of like um, all these weird pains and stuff that they say they have that you can't really confirm whether or not they have. But when you get these frequent flyers, it it causes you to get to a point where, I'm in pain, I'm in pain, I need some help, I need help. Give me some morphine, give me this, give me that. And we used to do this thing where we would take Either like a tic-tac, a tic-tac, or we'll take something. It's not. It's just a sugar. It's just sugar, basically. Only we wouldn't call it a placebo. We would call it obicalp, which is placebo backwards. <laughs> and we go, oh, no, bro, you don't want morphine. I got something that's way better than morphine, bro. I want you to try this obicalp. This stuff is brand new. It's top of the line. I guarantee you it's better than morphine. And then you give it to them, mm-hmm. and like five minutes later, like, oh, I feel so great. And then you're like, here, take some more. And you're just <laughs> giving him fucking sugar. Here you go. Take some sugar. It just doesn't work out too well when you find out they're
0: diabetic. (laughs) (laughs) We had a kid in Indiana who, uh, one of our instructors, or one of our packers, rather, had uh, Xanax. Had it prescribed to him, had it for a reason. And this other packer, this other jumper, found out he had it and kept bugging him, like, dude, I want some Xanax, I want some Xanax, I want some Xanax. The kid got so sick of hearing it, finally gave him his wife's old birth control pills. (laughs) Just gave him a handful of it. Like, here, bro, leave me alone. The kid came back like days. Like that's the best shit I've ever had, man. I need some more. I stopped bleeding out of my dick. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> we're, we're wrapping up towards the end, and, and when I went, are we really? Yeah, we really are, man. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we
1: started a little. We late. didn't
0: get to have too much fun. Come on, we, we got
1: 15 more minutes. Yeah, we, hey, why does it say that the battery is running low, DJ? Will you come solve oh, this shit, problem you? before this computer dies? You might want to plug in your PC. It's an emergency. So it's an emergency. So, it's an em-
2: so who else has uh, talked shit about me on uh, Facebook? No, dude,
1: I was actually really disappointed that no one really, no one no one piped up after I said that they would be uh, mentioned che- on the Chelsea podcast. Chelsea and Justin, for insulting that's you. it? Yeah, it seems like you'd be more hated than this, but uh, wow. Nikki Richardson was made funny for not liking hugs. I-, I love hugs, just not from her. Rude. Ooh, burn. Sick burn. Um, yeah. Someone said that you have a yes. face of a, I don't know, something that's terribly disfigured. I'm not feeling very creative mm-hmm. right yeah,
2: now. Yeah, you get nothing, Beryl.
1: Um, got
2: your mother. She's a good woman. But it's his mother is a. She's tester. a nice lady. She's a very nice lady.
0: You how how b- dare you? How dare you?
2: She's how a nice lady.
0: Uh, your drop zone manager. <laughs> barely yeah you <laughs> are looking for staff not a good one <laughs> constantly and that's not uh, costly true constantly, of you yeah. it's true of every drop zone manager yeah man skydivers so many of us come and go because we're vagabonds we travel we want to be around and some of many Gypsy of us is the word i
2: keep hearing yeah frequently.
0: come and go because most of you will work in the sport and quit working in sport within the same year it just happens regularly but what are you looking for in a new, a new instructor to you, and I'll kind of give you some examples. I, I, I have a minimal amount of jumps as mm-hmm. far as tandems or whatever rating I have. Um, I have tons of experience. I have minimal experience. I'm a brand-new jumper who's looking to become experienced. What are you looking for? Um, I think
2: the, I, what I'm actually looking for is the flexibility f- for people to understand that when you come to me... Every instructor is different. Every, you know, I get one instructor that's got 10,000 tandems, and I get one instructor that has 10 tandems. And I get an instructor that this is his first year. I get an instructor that this is his 20th year. Um, as a manager, I understand that as we get people that... I'm very big on bringing in young young instructors. And the reason I'm very big on doing that. Because I feel like we have a better opportunity of molding them to be what we need them to be than try and break some bad habits that they may have developed somewhere else. Um, just be flexible to know that, you know, there there might be certain wind conditions that I'm going to tell this tandem instructor, you're totally cool to keep going, and this tandem instructor, yeah I don't really feel comfortable with you continuing to jump in this condition. Getting a, an instructor rating, becoming a, I'd say this to new riggers as well, and a You know, it's really a license to learn, adapt, and get better. And uh, even though you get that you're a fresh tandem instructor, I'll take you knowing that I probably won't use you as much as I will the people that are super experienced as we are getting you experience to get to that point where I can rely on you uh, on a higher capacity.
0: I. I regularly will hear newer instructors are afraid to apply to some of the bigger drop zones. For example, yeah. uh, some of my buddies, it's like, oh, i want to play to Spaceland, but n- not yet. I don't have the experience. And then other places like uh, Spaceland, like Paris or Eloy or wherever. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't speak for what they're doing at those other places, but I do know regularly our managers, and I know I feel the same way. I might say our Spaceland's managers, uh, but I feel the same way commonly the newest instructors are some of the best hires because they're not stuck in any way they're not stuck in a rut they're very trainable they're very willing to learn because that's all they know how to do um the veterans can be really 50 50 because veterans commonly will come in with the attitude like how do y'all do it that way okay let's go yeah or they come in with like no i'm i don't a veteran. want to do it that way yeah yeah so it really is a hit and miss So it's not uncommon when you come to the table just because you don't have the most experience doesn't mean you don't have the most to offer. Correct. Um, Soft skills. uh, You you know what I mean by soft skills. People's personalities, how they manage themselves, how they manage it. Are you evaluating that? Uh,
2: I evaluate all aspects because uh, being an instructor is about being able to get someone from the ground to the sky and back to the ground safely. But it's also about how you do it. Right? So there's a... There's the technical side of things. When I say how you do it, I mean the technical side of things. Are you following the procedures? Are you doing your handle checks? Are you are, are your exits safe? Are the, these are all things that you should over time, especially uh, get better at. And those are the those are the uh, those are the 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 facts. These are the things that you do. And then there's the people that are really good at all that, but they suck at dealing with customers, or they suck at communicating with the student. And so I've had poor reviews uh, from customers on instructors that are technically very awesome, but their, for lack of better words, bedside manner is not where it could be. So there, there definitely is. And then you'll have people that are really good dealing with people, but they're not good at the technical side of things. So you're trying to find that balance between dealing with customer, um, dealing with the technical side of the job, and dealing with pleasing me, which is showing up on time, being ready to work, Being, uh, when you walk in the door, you're ready to deal with customers right off the bat. You know, these are things that I look for in an instructor. And there have been instructors that have been excellent instructors that I have let go simply based on their attitude. Simply based on their bad attitude. Knowing that it's going to cause me more work. Knowing that I'm going to have to step in and take over for that instructor. Yeah, there have been people that I've let go. uh, And and not very very happily let go on my part. Because... um, while they may have all the technical sides of, of the being a good tandem instructor down, they have the worst attitude ever, and then you just get tired of it. Like I don't have to deal with this anymore. I'll find people that want to be here. I'll find people that want to that are happy about being here. But um, you know, if you got a bad attitude, or a, a that will definitely translate over to how you deal with customers, and and uh, that's just not that's not what I need. I need I need a I need the whole package. But I'm certainly willing to work with people, especially people that don't have a lot. Maybe you've only done 200 tandems. Well, it might take you a little bit of time to learn how to interact with students. Uh, I'm willing to I'm willing to do that as long as you're willing to grow.
0: I've watched both you and Nick and your positions work with some real clowns at times. When I say real clowns, their skill set is lacking. They, they need some help, and they're constantly struggling, but they're constantly working hard and, and trying to improve. They just don't do as well yeah and i've watched both of you guys very patiently and very very you, you actually enjoy working with them to points uh you get frustrated of course but then working with somebody who's very talented and very skilled and just i'm done with it i yeah. I, I have no need for ben nelson in my life because he's acting oh like what? a fuck nut i'm just using Gosh, you for that shoot. exam you're not i i love you ben Why he you guys. just describe me as a fuck nut hey That's man weird. did you <laughs> see my skydive awesome stickers
2: I didn't. You got some? I guess oh, got some stickers. Yeah, man.
0: So shout this out,
2: shout out to my uh, my my partners up there. It's got to have uh, awesome. Yeah.
0: This is turning into the swag table. I'm starting to keep all like Tony's poker chips up here just stupid I'll stuff like that. Is. So it's been a little bit of fun. Um there was one last thing I wanted to mention about uh, getting working in the sport pushing pushing your way in. I just can't remember for the life of I me mean, what it
2: was, man. So we were talking about soft skills. Oh
0: yeah, no uh at some point, it's going to burn you out. At some point, you're going to stop having fun. Mm-hmm. And it's just that it's a job. And, and yes, it's the funnest job in the world. It's the coolest job in the world. But as skydivers look around you, and how many tandem instructors are burnt out? How many angry people are there in the sport? Why are they angry? Because they stopped enjoying the sport. Yeah. Um, the thing that I, I'll always push, and I th- t- continue uh, to probably to the day I die, I think this will be the truth I have a hobby have a life have something outside have a hobby of outside of, of skydiving for sure and drinking yeah it, yeah it, 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 drinking is not a I hobby i tell
2: i tell my st- i tell my staff um usually a couple times a year when we when especially when we roll into the the non busier part of the season i don't want to i want to say the down season but let's be honest like we do the least amount of jumps in these particular months i call it the slow season i i tell people to try their best to uh to level up right if you got a tandem rating Maybe this is the year you get your AFF instructor rating. Uh, if you uh, if you don't shoot video, maybe now's the time to put together that video kit and do some specs and learn how to shoot video. Level up, get your Riggers ticket. Uh, get a pilot's license. Uh, go to that camp that you that you didn't didn't get a chance to go to in June because we were too busy, but they're having one in December, right? Um, If you're just sitting around the drop zone doing nothing for four months and complaining about how you don't have any money because you didn't save it, if you really want want to progress in the sport, you will find a way to do it. And some of it means putting aside those things that you're spending your money on that you don't really need and saving it for a time that you can, when the things get slow, find something to throw yourself into that will help you level up and, and help you out in this career field. I, I took a riggers course in January because I know I knew that that particular January, the weather and stuff, I was probably probably weren't going to do any, many jumps. And I tell you, I did a month of, of solid month sitting in the rigging loft, doing a, learning a bunch of new skills that I never I never had, and uh, it was the right time. I, we weren't ju- we weren't jumping. I might as well level up in some way.
0: And riggers can make money when the weather's bad.
2: The weather's bad. There's But the more but the more skills you have, the more sellable you are too. You know, mm-hmm. f- I tell people that if they come when they come to me as a brand new tandem instructor, like you're coming to a drop zone that is giving you the opportunity to to advance yourself to a point where if you if you leave here after a year and you came to me as a tandem instructor and that's it, and you don't walk away as a videographer, or you don't walk away with another rating, or you don't walk away with a riggers ticket, or you don't walk away, you have just wasted a whole year of your life because, especially Scott Ives Baseline Dallas. Um, we've got so much opportunity for people to learn and grow. And if you're not taking the time to learn and grow, I see so many instructors. This is a good story I like to tell. I see so many instructors or staff members that are taking the time, spending hours and hours and hours, learning how to do this little thing. You know, uh, There was a big thing going around the drop zone a while back where people were learning how to do Rubik's Cubes and trying to learn how to do it super fast. And then there's those little skate things that people learn how to do And they spend literally hours and hours and hours every day becoming masters at those things. And I find myself going, (laughs) if you can spend hours a day doing that, get a Riggers ticket. Like, Do something. Like, I don't want to say that you shouldn't do those things because they're super fun and whatnot. Do those things as well. But do those things as well. But if you're willing to dedicate that much time and energy into that, donate a lot of time and energy into leveling up so that when you do get to a point that you're going to leave me, because I'm, I'm, I'm a realist, right? People aren't going to come as instructors and spend 30 years at, at my drop zone. It, it's a, I just understand that. People come and go, and they want to move around, and a lot of people want to go experience new places. If you leave, if you come to me as just a tandem instructor and you don't leave with another rating or at least something else, then you've wasted your time because you had lots of opportunity to do that,
0: and you didn't. And not every and and you say or something else. For example, maybe you're not going to be a tandem instructor one day, and that's okay. But and find another fun. skill set, find yeah. another place. Make yourself at least you make said, yourself
2: valuable. I mean, uh, you're going to be far more valuable to that place that you really want to go if you are a tandem instructor, an AFF instructor, a videographer, a rigger, you know. And you had plenty of opportunity to do it. We're a great we're a great place to level up.
0: Uh, I. Uh, you're more marketable. You can go to better jobs. Yeah. I highly recommend when you get that new rating, get that rating at a place that you're going to be at for that year. Yeah. Get that rating at a place that you've already been at for a little, at least a little while. Yep. Be good at some place before you add a new skill, yep. and then while you're at some place you're good at, develop that skill. So mm-hmm. now when you go to a new place, you've got this sharp skill already, so you can just focus on, like, yo, I'm at this new place. I'm in Vos, Norway, whatever. And so many of our friends, a kid named Nick Gray, has wanted to travel and see everything. And this stupid little kid went out and got all his ratings so he can go work wherever he wants. Yeah. And um, Nick's going to be here April 10th. He's going to come visit cool. us again. Super good. Awesome. Super good, stupid kid. Um, but, man, if that's your goal, to travel, make yourself more marketable, make yourself more valuable. Do it. And, and if you show up afraid to do AFF because you just got your AFF rating, yeah. they're going to see sh- right through you. And they're probably not going to want you back, not because you're not a good guy, but because you just aren't capable of doing the job they want out of you.
2: Yeah. I tell people uh, that if even if they have another skill set, they come to me with an AFF rating and they get a tandem rating as an example. I'll tell them to uh, focus on tandems for a while and just uh, try and get as many tandems as you can mm-hmm. in the next couple months because that repetition is going to really help. And the next thing you know when you roll back into doing what you were doing before by itself, you're going to be able to bounce back and p- back and forth between the two and not have an issue.
0: For sure, if you get a new rating, dominantly focus on it. Really make that your priority.
2: Yeah. Do do at least uh, 300 tandems at a place <coughs> like Spaceline. That's not going to take very long, especially <coughs> during the busy season.
0: And if you're at smaller drop zones, you don't need places that have all these educational setups. Yeah. Uh, go to your local rigger and say, yo, man, I want to learn to be a rigger, and a lot of them will take you under their wing. Be polite, be patient. You might not see their way. The Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi's a kooky old Japanese man, but his way worked. And you might have a kooky old rigger, you might have a kooky old examiner. Work with him and say, I want to be an instructor. Uh, uh, somebody, uh, I forget who it was, somebody, I think maybe Hank said, Yo, DJ, here's my Flow 9. He said he wants to be an instructor one day. Tell him what you think of that. I'm like, kid, I wanted to be an instructor. Why I started skydiving today? I'm an instructor. Man, you stay, keep doing what you got to do. You focus, and one day you can do it. And uh, he's like, motherfucker, you were supposed to, like, say, focus on this jump. I'm like, I'm not going to crush his goals. I'm <laughs> going to crush his dreams. That kid eventually it became a skydiver, eventually started jumping, and I think today is an instructor. He ended up moving on and moving away, so I don't mm-hmm. know for sure if he did. Man, ask somebody for help, and th- they'll guide you the way.
2: Yeah and not only that but um, I- take advantage of this sur- of your surroundings you know i'm using spaceland as an example but i'm talking about all major major drop zones right yeah. they all have places for you to really take the take the time that you have and and here's a good example we do a, a first jump course every sunday typically when we're busy we do an extra one during the week just to just to get people in that can't be in there on a sunday if you're a new instructor, sit in on those classes, man. We're having them every freaking week. Yeah. Like, if you really want to get better at, at teaching, then go do that. If you really want to get better at, uh, say, uh, doing EPs, then uh, go over and watch the instructors that are doing it. And, and go. We, it, how many times do we do EPs on a Saturday for students? Uh, there's so much opportunity for you. Go up to the rigging loft and watch them pack. If that's what you want to do. But there's so much opportunity to do it at these larger drop zones, especially places like Spaceland in Chicago and Paris and all these other places, that um, you're not necessarily getting paid, but you're not paying them to go do that, too. You can go sit in those things and gain knowledge and experience over time. You just have to take the time to do it. And when I get those people that, if we're not jumping, they don't even show up. They just, ah, I'm going to overt my trailer. Well, obviously, you're not looking to get better you're just all right whatever i'm here and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and when are you going to give me more things you have plenty of opportunity we if you want to become a better videographer then you better show up on on your days off and hell i'll put you on spec jumps and we'll get you in the air and we'll get you practicing but if you're not taking advantage of those uh, of that utility then you're wasting your you're wasting your time go sit in the first jump course we
0: got 4 a month
2: it's it's plenty of opportunity for you to learn and
0: get better. Constantly be training. Constantly Constantly be learning. Constantly be training, yeah. You know, I I eavesdrop on instructors all the time. And and if you're an instructor and you see me standing there watching you teach, I am enjoying what I'm seeing. Uh, Every now and then uh, somebody will, uh, regularly he'll somebody say, you make me nervous when you're there. I'm afraid I'm doing something wrong. I'm like, no, if you're doing something wrong, I'm going to walk away. Because I'm making you <laughs> nervous, and I don't want to make you nervous. If I think you're doing something wrong, I'm going to watch you so you can't tell I'm watching you. Because if I'm watching you, you're going to be on your best behavior. You're not going to fuck up. Yeah. So if I'm watching you, it's because I'm enjoying the way you teach. You're probably teaching either very similar to the way I would or very different from the way I would, and I like that way. So I'm trying to, like, you know, like, hey, man, check that out. Um. Always educate yourself, man. I love listening to the way uh, Nick says things. Sometimes when I when he's got to give an orientation, well, he teaches. I true. love true. the way his lips move.
1: I have kissed both of you. Yeah. so
0: whatever. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but, but continuously <laughs> be learning. Wow. So uh, I really that it's so hard because as you have that conversation, it, it brings me to a whole nother big conversation. And I, what I want to do at some point is I think I want to have Chris Fudala back on. I want to talk about what you can do to get ready for ratings. We talked about what it, what it does to get to, to that place, but yeah. like truly preparing for ratings, what we should do as instructors to help prepare stu- uh, candidates, mm-hmm. and what we should do as candidates to help prepare ourselves. Mm. Um, man, so I'm lost. We're going to just uh, say that's a good day to call a good night. Oh, really but we haven't heard much from Nick tonight. Gravity oh, Lab. Oh, that's good. I've been having fun
2: back here pushing buttons and just listening are to you Are we going to close are we going to close out to finally Friday by No. Okay. It's not technically Friday. No, I I had it queued up. Oh, did you really? <laughs> oh man, oh no my you got
0: to us off No, for real now. <laughs> yeah, please.
1: I knew the DJ would throw a fit Thank so that's you. why oh. I, I had the actual music queued up. Yeah. I just wanted to see DJ have a panic attack oh for a my second. Oh my gosh.
0: I'm trying to post these in other places that I'm going to get in trouble for if they have shit like that on and they pull them down.
2: Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. And uh, so... Wait. I, they can't pull it down if I sing it, though, right? No, not at all. Friday. Go. Friday. <laughs> you gotta get down on Friday. Oh God. Fun, 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 fun. Yeah. You, you can play Looking it like in the background on your radio. 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 Why so, I know on words? that note... Why do I know the words <laughs> to that song?
0: Grab Lab Radio. This is DJ. That was Ben. Nick's Pushing Buttons. The I didn't even guys. use my boner pillow tonight, everyone. Aren't you Good proud night. of me? <laughs> uh, Boner. <laughs>